watching a um, show from you from 2012. Oh, wow. What was it? You were singing about the high E. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and don't yes. blame music theory, blame me. Yes, yes, yes. Was it? Uh, thank you. Was that, um, I, I wonder where that was. I didn't know. I've been pretty good about not, um, not watching videos of myself live um, when they're on YouTube. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't played very much, but, you know, when I do, sometimes there's people taping it and sometimes I'm aware that it's, it's gone up and it's like, I'm not very nervous when I'm like actually perform. I mean, I'm nervous sort of, but I'm not like for somebody who doesn't play live very much. I think the expectation is like somebody who has stage fright or something like that. Right. Um, and in a weird, I think I'm kind of actually like the opposite. Like, um, I almost like it too much. <laughs> <laughs> um, but one thing I really don't like is like seeing seeing a video of myself. Like I probably won't listen to this, for example, mm -hmm. just because it creates a feedback loop of self consciousness. You know? Right. Yeah. That's how I look. That's how I sound. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I have no problem hearing my at this point. Like I remember when I was in like middle school or something. This is in the late '80s. We would tape ourselves, you know, on, on just cassette recorders, and sometimes it'd be music and that sort of famous distance between like one's perception of their voice and then when they're talking in the way that actually collapsed for me like probably when i was like 13. so when mm -hmm. i hear when i hear um myself singing like on a album or something it's it just completely sounds like me yeah like i have no problem with that but if i see myself like talking and 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 stuff it's like Who's i'm still just like yeah yeah it, it, it's hard i get like you know i get judgmental of totally all of it you yeah. know so yeah yeah that don't blame music theory song was like it's it's fascinating to think back to to that time i mean 2012 was probably right around when it started to turn but like when I was, how, how old are you, Pablo? I'm 33. 33, wow. I'm 44. Okay, yeah. Yeah. So um, I don't even, and I have no idea what the American-German difference here is, but when I was in college in the late 90s at the University of New, I was at, I went to a state school, the University of New Hampshire, like, mm -hmm. I'm in Vermont now, so it's like, two and a half hours like uh, east of here. I was, um, during those years, I was not writing songs at all. Like I wrote a bunch of songs and I did a lot of essentially the art form I do now in high school. In college, I was just like a straight up jazz person, you know, mm. like just really trying to, and I've never stopped working on that music, but um, at the time I didn't write songs or anything. I was just in like a full on, you know, jazz thing. Yeah. And at that time, um, even though there was all sorts of, in a weird way, it was like probably like the last 
time that like if you were a big deal jazz musician like uh brad meldow or somebody like there was all this label support and you were kind of famous and everything but at the same time like from what i could feel in social circles that i was aware of and um thinking about like indie rock and stuff mm. which i didn't listen to but it was so it was so uncool <laughs> to be studying jazz like yeah. it was just like studying music was thought of as a sure way of sucking at it <laughs> like that you yeah. you were you were totally supposed to like you know and and there's so much obviously incredible music that does come out of that like that whatever that raw place or whatever like mm. a friend of uh a friend of mine uh and I have been like talking about Daniel Johnston a little bit I don't know if, if you know his music no. at all but um yeah so anyway like even even as far into so that and then the scene that that uh in this area like um I live in southern Vermont and then pretty much the scene that I'm kind of part of extends down into western mass like Northampton and Amherst and mm -hmm. and stuff these are I mean I don't expect you to know these towns like <laughs> they're not like they're not like internationally like yeah, yeah, yeah. this is not an internationally famous scene but it's like at the same time it's like pretty amazing mm -hmm. but one thing about it has been that it's sort of been a more avant-garde like um uh like if jazz, if it's if if it's if it's okay to like jazz, like it kind of has to be free jazz, mm. you know, like sort of noise music adjacent jazz. Yeah. And um, I just remember, I think that the show you probably were watching was like at the Brick House or something, which is down in Greenfield, which is like twenty minutes from here. Mm -hmm. And I just remember there being other musicians in the room from the scene that I totally respected and 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 everything but this defensiveness in me like when i was singing that lyric like i feel like that's like in the in the interim that's like worn off like the defensiveness it, uh no <laughs> um <laughs> but um no that thing where like it's not okay to like have been to music school like now that's like totally cool again or whatever mm -hmm. it's like um you know this is like the era of like you know, Lewis Cole and, and Genevieve Artadi and everything, which I fucking love that music. Yeah. And it's just like, so anyway, it's just funny to think back to that, to that song and like a time when I would be like, you know, basically defensive about whatever, like actually studying yeah. notes and stuff. Yeah. I mean, listening to your music, it seems like, <clears throat> I was surprised. Um, obviously, when I when I listened to your music, I got the feel that you know a lot about music and you know a lot about harmony and all the parameters of the music. But when we started writing each other emails, I was uh, amazed in how much you wanted to talk about the, you know, <laughs> the specifics of the music and uh, of yeah. your process. And I love that because I'm I'm similar, you yeah. know. But I didn't um, get that feel per se from your music, and I, I think that's a good thing because it does, you know, 
the, the technique is hid, hidden. Like in, in the great mm. art piece, you don't notice the te technique right away. It's somehow hidden and you get, you get uh, um, very clearly to the emotion or to the, to the vibe, mm -hmm. you know. Well, thank you. Yeah, I, it's not so much that I feel like I need to consciously hide it, but um, I am like really into like, a, and this is like all essentially like a cliche, but I'm really into keeping a separation between, you know, basically practicing and, and, uh, and improvising or practicing and writing. Uh -huh. And um, Why is it's that? like, I think it's just like the, I think it's just like the jazz ideal really of like um, doing a ton of work often that involves like the quote unquote left brain or whatever. I know a lot of musicians are actually, that would be reversed because they're left-handed, but um, mm -hmm. where, um, you know, you're, you're sort of slowly going through materials and um, trying to absorb them in, in the deepest way you can. And then when you go uh, to, to, to a gig or which has been in college, I used to be like, you know, playing little jazz gigs all the time and stuff. Yeah. Or when I go, go to start writing a song, um, you know, I basically want to drop drop the agenda sure and um uh and again this is all just like cliche but you know just get out of the way and, and let what's going to happen happen and all that stuff like i you know i've had i had all these classic experiences when i was in college where um like where i would be practicing i remember one one time i was practicing this like this is a very specific memory and this is also like a story I've told before. So it's like that reinforced memory thing. But um, this was probably in like 1997 or 98. And I was, I can't remember what song it's from, but there was like, this is before Kurt Rosenwinkel had, um, had any albums out under his own name. I'm, I think East Coast Love Affair might have been yeah. But anyway, it was like, in order to like, listen to him, you had to like, order, you know, special order CDs from like the CD store. And, um, you know, he, he was always like a sideman or whatever. Mm. Um, and some of those albums are still like my, my favorite ones. But um, yeah, so it was like he was playing over a 2-5 and it was like, it was like this pretty simple idea that was just based on like um, moving uh, moving like down chromatically sort of like through a tritone substitution it was like it was just like this little it was like you know hitting some altered shit on the yeah. five chord but it was just really beautiful the way that it that it How fell on, yeah and, and the way that it fell on the guitar was nice and so it was like there was like this 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 day where I was where I was practicing that like all the ways I could figure out to do it on the guitar and like and in all the you know all the keys and and it's like I had this like 
little gig that I used to play in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, like that night mm. with my friend Ryan, and uh, who's another guitar player. And it was like basically that that sort of student hubris where I was like, they say, you know, you got to like absorb this stuff really deeply and then forget about it. Yeah. But I was like, no, I am playing that. Like yeah. I am, I can integrate this now. Yes. Like I really, I was just like, I must. Like I was just, I was like, so it was like all this stuff was just handy to me too. Like all these little ideas and, yeah. and, um, and trying to get them to work. And, and, you know, I wasn't like a super gifted, like, jazz musician right away either I had to like really work to absorb I wasn't just like naturally like it, it was a lot of work to like really learn how to hit changes and right. and to then and to then do that in a way that wasn't like rigid mm -hmm. and like you know it just it was like a ton of work and um but this one time I just had I don't know how old I was like 21 or 22 and I just like felt like I was gonna get it to work and i and then i just remember that night we were playing you know out of the real book or whatever the, the, and um i just kept trying to work it in and and it was it was you know as you can picture it just sounded so it just kept interrupt i mean whatever was already happening at that time was probably not that great <laughs> but it was still it was interrupting it. And my friend Ryan, well, Ryan Power, who's an amazing musician. I know the name. Yeah, he's, he, we went to college together and stuff mm -hmm. and he makes records and he's great. Mm. Um, uh, he just like right in the middle of one of my solos was like, you know, basically like he was like, stop playing that. Like, <laughs> like in front of everybody, in front of everybody, he was like, stop. He, he was like he was angry yeah yeah and i was really angry that he was gonna like do that and and mm -hmm. then it was kind of it's real funny to think about because we were kind of like we kind of were at like a jazz gig but it was really we were just playing background music in this bakery you know i, I think we were outside that night it was a summer or something and yeah. so in a way we were pretending to be jazz musicians and like the minute that he was like just like stop doing that. It was kind of like it, it made it clear that like the whole thing was kind of a fantasy or something. <laughs> it was, it was, I remember it cause it was like, cause it's just like this perfect story because like, you know, it was, it was really a false sounding trying to fly this thing in over and yeah. over again. And then, and then I had, I don't remember how many years later it was, but like say I'm playing like basically like blowing over standards, like, you know, aside from practicing, just playing, like say I'm like playing two or three hours a day or whatever, like just kind of playing yeah. and all, you know, just things are happening. And it was really, it was seriously, I don't know how many years later, maybe three, four years later after college and everything, there was just this one time where I was playing on a standard and then it just like happened came back it came back yeah. and it was it was also changed it was like it wasn't exact anymore it wasn't verbatim yeah it was based on that it was a gesture yeah 
And yeah. it was, it was, it was, but it distinctly came. It was one of those times where you can really see that it like, uh, that it came from the, pra you knew where it came from. I mean, so much of what comes out, like we don't, if it, if it came from practice at all, like you can't trace it anymore, Yeah. you know, but it was like this time where I got lucky and I was able to see it. And, um, I, it was astounding. I mean, this is after it, it was astounding. It was just like, I can't believe that thing has been waiting down there and it came out and I was just like, it was like, you know, this is literally the stuff that they were, you know, that, that, the, the, the professors at UNH were saying, mm -hmm. just like, yeah, just practice it, then forget about it and just play. So, so yeah, my, my aesthetic, like in terms of like, and I have to be careful here too, cause I'm like, I'm getting older. And w one thing I'm really nervous about is, um, that thing where you start to just tell the same stories over and over, which that one is like, but also where you get too clear about your story and what you think you're doing and yeah. how it all works. And it can get pretty airtight and like mm -hmm. really start to suck for everybody around you too. <laughs> and so, I mean, but in the, the, the how do you work against it though? Uh, because you know, I I know that because I'm 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 with some people mm. that are my heroes. I'm following them so much that they, yeah. I basically know most of the interviews they are doing. Yeah. So I know their stories, and yeah. they tell the same stories all over again because they work, yeah. and they work for yeah. a reason, and <clears throat> there are nuggets of wisdom in there, but also yeah. that they are kind of a. Um, parachute for them if the interview doesn't work or if they don't feel like in the moment or if they think about something else and then they already know oh he's asking about being in the moment i know my being in the moment story which will fit nicely here god you know? <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know yeah and yeah, um, sure. i've been interviewed also a couple of times so i know the feeling also because you know yeah. it's easy to go there you know it's the same with playing actually it's easy to go to certain yeah. places but yeah do you yeah i mean do we have the courage to say this is really how i'm feeling right now or i don't have yeah. an answer for this right now yeah i could give you my yeah. my stock answer you know sure yeah and it's hard it's yeah hard. it's it's really it is it is challenging um one thing that is uh that's a big thing that i did this year, which has got to be obviously, I mean, the craziest year ever. <laughs> yeah. I mean, really, I mean, what, so I was, I've been like supporting myself barely, um, ever since college as a guitar teacher. And, um, you know, I just never, I never really, did the music thing the right way. I mean, um, which is to say like, you know, I could have, and, and this is a whole, a whole can of worms and this is stuff I've thought about a lot. So I want to be, be careful again in that same way, not to just get locked into a set story, but 
you know, I didn't tour and I didn't, I just, and when I was a kid, I mean, I was making all these albums with my friend Ben Stamper and, I mean, that shit was good. And there was no reason that we, as we were coming out of high school, wouldn't be like, we can maybe get this on a little label and then start to try to make it. Like, I don't know exactly what it was in the culture of my group of friends or in myself, but it just was, seemed like something that we just could not imagine and would never so imagine we could away. do. But then in terms of the actual art making it was the opposite. Like we just had no limits about how heavy this stuff could be. But um, so anyway, like I went to college for jazz and then I got back into songwriting and then, you know, I didn't really play gigs anymore, but I, I skated by, I got out of, I got out of college in 1999. And Did people uh, call you though? I mean, no, no. What do you mean? Like you stopped playing gigs, you said, or you, oh yeah. So I, I had moved. So like in, in, uh, I got out of college and then I was still in the area for a year in the East, uh, like an, an hour North of Boston mm -hmm. up in new England. And I was gigging that year. And then I moved with my uh, girlfriend, Molly Wheeler, at the time. We moved to um, Austin, Texas, for her to go to library school, information science, in uh, Austin. And so, and when I went there, I tried to, um, there was like this jazz uh, jam night at this place called the Elephant Room mm -hmm. that I started going to. It was on Monday nights. And it was kind of like, it was crazy. It was like, this is 2000 to 2003 that I lived there. There was like, there must've been like literally every, every genre of music. Like that city was, is famous for having the most venues or of any American city at the time anyway. Mm -hmm. And this is before the dot-com bubble even burst. And it was a big tech city too. So It was it was a growing city and 9-11 didn't happen right away. And, you know, it was like Clinton was the president when I moved there, you know, and. Um, it was like literally, I think, the one kind of music, the one kind of music. That exists that was there really what it was not a good place to do that was. Uh, jazz that was not backward looking mm. so there would be on incredible like Django Reinhardt people and stuff there would be and you know I don't mean to disrespect like the old the older types of jazz that people played there it was amazing it was incredible all the bass players could do that slapping yeah. uh, acoustic you know that all this crazy everybody had all this technique everybody literally had costumes on. Like yeah. they literally had the clothes on as if it was like, I don't know what year. Yeah. And they had the right gear. They had like, they didn't even have like, the guitarists didn't even have pickups on their guitars. They had like a pickup sort of like gummied on because that's what it would be like in this certain time or whatever. Mm -hmm. And these people were serious musicians. It was incredible. But, um, I, at the time, my only guitar, my only electric guitar was like a, a pink or I guess it's like peach colored, like Dan Electro. Um, it kind of like, so you didn't fit I, in. 
I didn't fit in. And, and there were a couple people at the, that would come to the, j the jam session who would be a little more like, I remember this one guy, I can't remember his name. And he had, you know, met Rosenwinkel in Boston or something, had been at a clinic or something and told, told me these stories about like the stuff he did there. And, um, but yeah, so kind of like that kind of just like wilted for me. And that was when I kind of transitioned back to songwriting and I didn't try to go play gigs or anything. It was very internal and, um, got, got really deeply back into that, but then kept doing the jazz thing and, and just taught a bunch of lessons. Yeah. And the thing that I was going to say about the, so, so that story I told you about the two five, the descending thing, like, um, I, let me interject, interrupt myself too. That thing where you think <laughs> that thing where you like are first getting emails from me and you're like, wow, this guy really wants to talk about like notes and stuff. And, yep. oh, this is like a random email about all interval tetrachords or whatever. <laughs> Part of that, there's probably two, if I'm honest, there's probably two reasons for that. One is because on the surface, I am not, it's not necessarily evident like that I know that stuff. Mm. Like it's like, I, I, you know, I've had friends before who were first heard my music and they were like, you know, it could just be some weird person who's doing it all by ear or something. Right. Mm. I mean, that that's, that's possible. Um, and then they're like, Oh, he actually, whatever, like kind of is in that world. So you're like a jazz musician, obviously. Mm -hmm. And, so I probably like it's part of it is just like probably wanting to prove something to mm -hmm. you, but the, so that's the sort of super honest answer. But the real answer I think is that a lot of the people who reach out to me um, for interviews, like I don't do a ton of them, but I've done a few recently. There were written interviews. This is like the first this is literally the first interview where I'm just talking that I've ever done. Yeah. Um, Thanks for doing it with me. Yeah. 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 Thank you. Oh, only for you. Pablo. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, but uh, as amazing as like, you know, I'm just so grateful when people hear my music or whatever, because I know they haven't heard it because I've hired a publicist or something, because Absolutely, that's just yeah. not, yeah. that's just never the going to be the reason. Well, that, I guess like, I had one record in 2015, um, the, the label NNA did their own publicity a little bit. And I do think that that had an impact. Which one but is that? It's called The Holy Life That's Coming. Yeah, right. Yeah. And it's it's like one of the- It's the first one on, I heard. Okay. Yeah. It's on Spotify and yeah. stuff. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but uh, so it's it would be a little unfair if I just acted like, you know, there there was never any publicity or whatever, because there was, I think, for that that album that's how i got those those interviews that are online still or whatever but um so anyway when somebody's like you know emails me or or whatever wants to interview me um i'm always really psyched and it's always like this is motivated reasoning of course i want them to be cool because i if they like me then they must be cool so it's <laughs> but i but i but i do i feel like it's really uh uh I think it's sensitive like people that are that that are that are that are Drawn great. To your music. But 
they usually don't know. Uh, sometimes they do, but they usually don't. There's, it's, it would be impossible for me to get to talk about, uh, you know, theory stuff, basically. Yeah. So it's basically just excitement, like, oh, there's somebody who, um, you know, is is listening to my music who I can who I can actually talk directly about notes to, you yeah. know. Um, that was the that was an interruption of myself. And then to zoom back to the other thing, um, I was teaching for 23 years since 1996, and I always um, was really proud that, unlike a lot of guitar teachers, I was not doing it. Um, that it was that it was something I actually liked doing. It was like an art form to me, and um, you know, in, in two thousand eight and nine, when I first moved to Vermont, I was in this band for a little bit with uh, my girlfriend Ruth, who is still my girlfriend. Um, this is our apartment, and um, our friend Kyle, and we had this band called Happy Birthday, and then Kyle. Um, it's a terrible name. And then, <laughs> and like then it. Kyle, real good. Okay. Yeah, like <laughs> okay. Um, <clears throat> wait a minute. How do you say happy birthday in German? It's like Herz. It's so deep. It's like, yeah. what is it? Herzlichen We's... Glückwunsch. <laughs> oh, yeah. But can you also say Zoom Geburtstag after? <laughs> what is... <laughs> Herzlichen you Glückwunsch the... zum Geburtstag. Yes. I took German in college and I, it was just, I, Musicians are supposed to be good with language, but I'm like the freaking classic <clears throat> stupid American, just like so, so monolingual. Um, yeah, so anyway, like my friend Kyle was kind of like this buzzy character and and through this thing that he does called King Tough and then um, Sub Pop signed him and then he's like, can we do my new band? So there was this moment where I kind of had the first time in my life, and I was at the time, I was 33. And it was the first time in my life that I was like, essentially given an opportunity to go for it, to tour a bunch. I mean, there wasn't really much money coming from the label, but there was essentially an opportunity via the sort of validation of the label and some money to go try to be real or whatever in that world. And I lasted a very short while and basically went completely bonkers mm. and and uh, quit. Why? I mean, what, what, what? Because I didn't, because I, I it's not what I wanted to do. Mm. I, I, what I, what I actually wanted to do was what I was already doing. Yeah. Despite the financial problems. Yeah. What I actually wanted to do was to And, you know, I've been like yapping about climate change, like since then, yeah. um, that tour that musicians giving away their music for free or, or it's not really our choice, but like a musician not being able to make any, this is a very rigid area. This one for me, this mm. is something, I've, but I feel like it's good to say it in public because it's still not part of the discourse. There was a New Yorker article this last week that was about, um, 
you know, being like basically making a living being an artist right. uh, in the in the digital age. And it was like it it went through this 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 thing you read you've read it so many times of now the musician uh, their albums they assume they'll make no money from the album. It's essentially an advertisement for the, for them to go tour yeah. and sell merchandise. And people we're we're very comfortable as a culture saying that over and over and over again now. But we never add the part that having all our musicians constantly flying in airplanes and driving around is an enormous contributor to climate change. We mm. never, it's like, there's still a block there, mm. you know? And, um, and um, I think in the future, like, it's gonna be really embarrassing to look back on. I think it's gonna be like, yeah, I toured, you know, you know, and, and this is a tricky area for me because I haven't done it. Right. So I'm essentially like, I'm essentially calling out like all my loved ones, yeah. <laughs> which is, <laughs> it's, like a tr it's a tricky space, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, and I, it's not that I've done no traveling. Like I've been in an airplane a couple years ago, but um, to, to go on a little tour in California. Is the first time I've been back to California since I was like a baby in Santa Monica in 1977. Mm. But um, so anyway, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't want to tour, and I, I didn't, and I, and I liked teaching, and I, um, and who knows? Maybe I have like this romantic notion of the underground artist or the artist who outside the outside the pressures of the commercial world like you know i probably i'm probably like beholden probably in it i mean i hope i am outgrowing this but you know i probably the, the whole genius archetype is like one that i was attracted to when i was a kid yeah. you know and also like and this is something i've said before but the the part of the beatles story i always really really loved was the part where they quit touring and made sergeant right. pepper yeah. like that to me is just the most magic like mm. particularly paul lives in cavendish he lives right down the street from the studio so they're hanging out in this house and like writing songs on his piano upstairs and then i guess they had to get driven yeah to the studio because they couldn't really walk but i'm just like whatever like i just have i've never been and when i was a little kid too i had trouble i mean i should also say like you know i have mental health stuff i have obsessive compulsive disorder and i had a lot of which is fine like i mean i have you know at this point in my life it's very well managed and um i'm all right mm -hmm. but i'm not like the most like there's some areas that i'm really really flexible in and and um open and open to 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 uh unexpected things happening like in music but you know when i was 10 years old or whatever and my uh my dad was a uh he's retired now but he was a um organic chemistry professor and so my family went on sabbatical to uh, Bristol, England in 1986. Um, 
we were only there for seven months. We were actually in Madison, <clears throat> Wisconsin, uh, where I was born, actually, uh, for the first half of the year. And then the second half of the year, we were in Bristol. And we were not only like, it wasn't only that we had moved, but we were uh, traveling a lot, too. And I just had a nervous breakdown, mm. you know. <laughs> you were 10 years old then? I was 10, yeah. Yeah. So I mean, I, I've, I've had, uh, I've always had certain things that I think um, that I that I have an outsized reaction to, and I can tell that just by seeing the other people in my the life. Reaction. And, yeah, and, mm -hmm. and their reaction to me, and also, well, how nervous are they? And like certain things, just like seem. Uh, really overwhelming and really complex for me and travel is like kind of one of those so yeah it's not like I gave up the being a touring musician and getting you know famous or whatever just because I'm like a morally such a great such a great forward-thinking person it's like <laughs> it was um very natural to me to 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 want to stay uh stay home and dream kind of you know <laughs> Well, everything you've told me until now seems like uh, it's very natural and seems like it's very, it's very, it all makes sense. You know what I mean? It all makes sense that now I have listened to you yeah. for maybe, it's, yeah, it's close to your year now. And obviously yeah. those last weeks leading up to this, I've been listening to you a lot. So I, mean, I, I love it. Know, I love it. I love it. Uh, your 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 voice, your music has been in my ear quite a lot. So so I've been wondering about these things. You know, what what kind yeah. of person is this? And you know, why does he stay at home? And you know, why doesn't he want to bring his music and play for other people more outside of the world? Uh, blah blah blah. All these things. You know, I've been wondering yeah. about who you are and why you are like yeah. this. <laughs> and and uh, and it all makes sense, man. It it, it all makes oh, sense. Oh, good, good. I mean, I, I assume that would be the case for everybody who you meet, and you get a sense for them, you know. And you get yeah, yeah that this led him to do this, and this led him not to do this, and this yeah. is why. You yeah, know, of course. But it's nice to see it like that, you know, to realize cool. that, you know, because that's something, you know. When Larry Goldings told me about you, I was like, okay, I'm going to yeah. look this guy up. Found that one record on Spotify. Uh, back then I was still using Spotify. Now I'm not using it anymore. Oh, very good. I, yes, I hate it. I hate yeah. it. Um, but um, um, so then I was like, okay, where's his website? I want to read something about him. I, w I want information. Yeah. And then I saw all these different records. And then I saw the interview where you say you're basically not doing interviews. Uh, and rather do things oh, no. <laughs> via written in a written form, you know. And and um, it's nice now to finally get to talk to you and and uh, put the pieces together, you know, and and make mm. sense of everything. And it makes yeah. sense, you know. Well, it feels. I don't have any regrets, and I feel like it's been a cool life so far. <laughs> um, but, but I am, I am changing too. Um, and, uh, like, um, well, 
the one thing I, I was going to actually, actually, yeah, yeah. if I may interrupt you, of course, but, uh, because that, yeah, what I wanted to say actually is that I realized now also how you talk about it for the music you're doing and how you're doing it, as I assume you're doing it, and we'll, we'll get into that. Um, I think you're in the right place. You know what I mean? Uh, I think it's not a music that you can do how you do it and how much you do it. Right. If you would be traveling all the time or if you would be, uh, oh, yeah. if you would be playing with other people the whole time playing their music, you know, it's, it's very focused yeah. and it's very, very deep and very, very um, concentrated, uh, deep focused work uh, that is not possible if uh, you're um, maybe also in a town where you, where you're, um, you know, your attention gets, gets taken yeah. away by other things, you know, other work, other people. It makes sense. It's, it's, um, I have a lot of friends in the West coast. Um, and obviously those are the fires that are happening right now. Yeah. And it's just going to be every year, you know, yeah. it's like, but it's, so I don't want to, I want to be careful saying this, um, because I'm so lucky, but, um, for those of us who live over here, uh, uh, particularly, you know, north of the cities, like I, I'm, we're like three hours north of New York, so we're not far from these places. Like you can go play there if you want. Yeah. But Vermont is, I mean, it is so fucking beautiful here. Yeah, I know. And I've driven through it. Yeah. Oh, great. Oh, are you, I, when this pandemic is over, it'll be so fun to, if you come through and we can hang out. Oh man, yeah, we can go. Hi we can go hiking up this mountain that's right outside my window and stuff. Yeah, I'm down. It's um, it's so beautiful here, and I mean, there's a lot of people leaving the cities right now, and essentially trying to start to move up here, and it's gonna, it's gonna fuck it up. I mean, it's gonna, which is fine, actually. You mm -hmm. know, it's just change, but you know, it's gonna. There was a studio right next to my. I rent a studio that I. Uh, do music in it's really not appropriate in terms of like sound <laughs> it's like right on a busy street it's like such a nightmare but Man, um, i love the beginning of that one song where you say i'm just gonna wait until the bus until the <laughs> truck is gone and I, I i so love that you left it in yeah i don't know why i left that i, I usually i don't leave those things like you, i never like leave the sound of me putting my guitar down and pressing stop or whatever but yeah, I left it that. Yeah, that was real. I'm just gonna wait for this bus to go by. Yeah. yeah um, I, love, I love that. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, my studio is right in the busiest intersection of Brattleboro, which is like, there's a lot of traffic there, you know? It's all pretty and stuff. It's not a city, but it's, it's not that much like in the spot right where I am. It's kind of like not less traffic than a city. It's mm -hmm. like, but, um, yeah, anyway, the building right next door to my studio was this big, cheap place that all my friends had studios. And it was bought by like a Manhattan, like a 25-year-old Manhattan developer, and he kicked everybody out, and he's turning it into condos. Mm -hmm. So the we've been, pr particularly compared to Western Massachusetts, which is 
gentrifying much quicker than here. We've been pretty lucky, but um, it is starting to happen. And there's stories in this area right now of people trying who are in the market to buy a house, which I am far from, but friends that are, um, they can't buy anything because um, the, the, uh, they're always outbid by somebody who's paying more for the asking price who's from sure. New York right now. Because everybody's fleeing, yeah. basically, yeah. the cities. Um, there was something crazy. Yes, uh, yesterday I was in my studio and I was practicing and the sunset looked amazing. Like it looked like a 70s sunset, mm. you know? Like much, and I, I, I almost like tried to take a picture of it, but I just like, I had the thought like I should take a picture of this, but I just kept practicing. And then today when I was looking at the computer earlier, um, I saw that the smoke had made it over here and that that's why the sunset looked like that. Wow. The smoke has blown. There's so much of it that it has blown across the entire country. That's incredible. And, wow. and it is like, it, you can sort of see it today. It looks a little like, um, Fuzzy. it's barely, I mean, it's, I mean, whatever, again, extremely lucky not to be dealing with that air quality that they're dealing with over there mm. or that hurricane that's hitting wherever else. And, and of course the whole rest of the world too, not just this one <laughs> dumb, dumb country, mm. but, um, yeah. So this one, let me just like, I just want to, I don't have any, um, attachment to finishing like, you know, threads of that are abandoned. That's fine. Yeah. Except I was going to say, um, because I, I kind of want to say it because I kind of haven't, I've been careful about not really saying it out loud yet, but I stopped teaching this year. Um, and, um, it was really weird how it timed out, but I, and I don't, okay, so a couple little things that are different from this sort of non-compromising, like, character portrait that I've painted, like, also via Larry Goldings, who, by the way, when I heard that Larry Goldings, like, knew about my music, which I heard from a few different sources, I was like, oh my god. <laughs> like because when I was in college like I like had his CDs and everything sure yeah like and then ever since I found out that he knew about my music I've I've gone back to to some other some of his other records and like I mean that guy is like I mean obviously right I mean I love sure, that yeah. interview you did with him too he's so oh, I mean sure. I didn't know what he was like but he's an amazing his vibe is just like, he's awesome. What a great, and again, motivated reasoning, right? Like I'm really happy he likes my music. Um, but I heard, I heard that he was into my music from a, from a bass player friend of mine uh, in New York and that he had showed it to some other people. And then um, a couple years ago, this is something um, that's kind of not, finished yet because of the pandemic but i uh do you know the producer uh blake mills i was gonna ask you about him yeah why because i, I love his music and i've been oh, that last God. record um 
Oh my God, it's, it's so it's so good. good. I mean, it's an incredible record. I have to listen to it. There's that like, one song on there though that is the the one? um uh it's so stupid. I can't. I'm not great with lyrics, which is um it's a it's a weird turn of phrase. It's like it's about getting married, I think, and it's like more later or why later. It's like the third song or something. It starts with an augmented chord. Oh yeah, right. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I know that one. Yeah. Da, 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 da. Oh, that song! I could not believe I listened to it, and you can hear little bits of like Nielsen in his voice and stuff, but that harmony and the—it's so dumb that I don't know the title of it right now. Yeah, I yeah, sent yeah. that song to so many people, but yeah, yeah, I have the same problem with the record because I put it on, and then I yeah. just I get lost in it, and. Uh, I know some of the titles, and I, I transcribed Mirror Box. Yeah, say, I think I transcribed also the harmony from there. Um, and it's it's funny how he used the augmented chord. It puts other another note in there for for the melody, which makes it then not so augmented. Maybe coming oh, yeah. from somewhere else. You know, some of the freshest. I, I'm I'm pretty good with like I usually I usually don't transcribe music that's kind of closer to home. And I don't, I don't know why, like I did a lot of transcribing in college and then I stopped. I did learn the chords to that, but I don't remember them now. But um, I think it's I want to like... say, oh, yes, 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 yeah. And then about the next one. Yeah, it's so, yeah. That's that the that's the that's the is, moment, is yeah. that you just even you just playing that I'm almost crying. <laughs> that part of the melody, yeah. that part of the that melodic. I mean, his piano playing on that album is so good. Too. Yes, yes, totally. It is and, so uh, the good. Muted, the muted pedal, you know, the muted mute pedal, and yeah. and uh, I think Gabriel Cahane also. He's he told me he's he's playing piano. I think on one. Track, okay, and uh, he did something. But I was going to ask you about uh, I, yeah. yeah I was going to ask you about Blake because I've written uh, no I have I've not written but I've read uh, things where he mentioned that he's working together with you yeah 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 so what it is is that um, last summer um, a couple of my friends Kyle from Happy Birthday and his partner Sasami Ashworth who's a musician uh, also. We're at a show and Blake was there and Kyle called me and he's like, Blake Mills, like, um, you know, is into your music and you should try to get in contact with him or, or, you know, he, you know, and I was like, oh my God, really? And it was weird. because like it, it had been just a couple months before that I had like written it. Somebody was like telling me how heavy he was. And I was, I kind of didn't know yet. Yeah. And I wrote his name down in my date book or whatever. And then a few months later, it was like this thing happened and Sasami uh, connected us via um, email. And we were talking and he was like, so my first thought was like, um, Kyle's like, you should come to LA and do a record with him because he's a producer, right? Yeah. And I was like, this is before I'd even emailed with him this is in those 
days right before that happened, I was like, yeah, I, I hope he doesn't ask me to do that. Cause that's, I just, and it kind of see, I, I mean, I probably should have known he wasn't going to ask me to do that because, um, it's like, he's a producer, right? So he's not, he's not like a, he's not like a talent hunter. Right. Yeah. Particularly for like, he's the one who gets um, asked in a way. Yeah. And also like, it's like, it's his job. So he's like, he's like, it's not, I mean, it's a moot point. Cause that's not what he asked me to do. He asked me to do something I actually wanted to do, but he, um, you know, it's like, I guess I just have a lot of ambivalence and like, it just seems like unlikely that I'm gonna, I, I just don't think it's my fate to be like, and here's this like, yeah. uh, 40 year old, <laughs> you know, we need white man yeah. and he's, um, and he's, oh, he's real good. And, you know, like, <laughs> and here he is like finally getting his due, like, and, and this sort of like big, the sort of the world with its, you know, I just didn't, I just didn't, whatever, again, like, I hope I don't sound like, I don't know how I hope I don't sound, but, um, <laughs> but, um, uh, he was like, you know, I'm a fan of your music and, um, I, you know, I'd like to work together at some point. I was like, Whoa. Yep. And he's like, I'm, I'm doing this, I'm writing, I'm doing this TV show about a fictional seventies band. And I was wondering if you want to help me write the music. And I was like, yes, mm. like, yes. Mm -hmm. Like it's by, it's always been my dream to do like a, you know, to do some writing. Um, and, uh, you know, that where I get paid <laughs> instead <laughs> yeah. of, Instead, I mean, actually, I'm making a little money now from my music just because of Bandcamp. Like, there's this culture now, or Bandcamp is awesome. It's like, yeah, people are starting to pay. Yeah, like I'm making thousands of dollars a year. Like, it's my only income right now, so I'm like really technically poor. Mm. But it is such a wonderful feeling when people buy it because yes, they could they could get it for illegally so easily. Yeah. I think, I mean, I don't know how much of my stuff's available that way, but, um, you know, I'm, and I'm charging, I mean, you've bought my music too. So I'm charging like a, for just a digital thing, there's no physical and it's like 15 bucks. And when, when people buy it or when they pay more, which they do pretty often, it's like, they know what's happening. They yeah. know that they're supporting somebody who needs it. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's really beautiful, but um, I also, um, uh, you know, it's, it's also like, I don't have any retirement money. I'm going to be 50. I'm going to be 45 at the end of this year. It's like, whatever. It's like, who fucking cares? It's like, everything is trashed anyway in the whole world. So I don't need to be too anxious about it, but there's a part of me that would, is going to need to take more risks around collaborating and stuff if there's any hope of uh of like even a modest you know whatever mm. but but i mean how may i ask about the, the people who are buying the records because i yes. saw yeah 15 euros 
every record <clears throat> and there's a couple of guys buying the record yeah. is it is it kind of a fan base uh, type of situation where people notice okay there's a new record i'm gonna buy it or do you notice it's got it's different people each time uh i can't tell i can't tell because i i think it's i think i'm getting more listeners but i mean but i'm not sure because The, a lot of the other years when I did have stuff that was released on labels and stuff, I wasn't ever, you know, even when the label was run by a friend or something, I wasn't like the one who was seeing the Bandcamp sales or sending right. the CDs or whatever it was. Um, I mean, I, I honestly don't know. And I don't look at the statistics or anything. Again, it's kind of like not watching YouTubes of myself perform. Like there's a certain yeah. just mental health that I'm like trying to preserve. Um, because I do, ever since I started putting stuff on Bandcamp at the beginning of 2019. That's when I've, you started Bandcamp. Well, there were Bandcamps, there were Bandcamps of other, other that were through labels. Right. But that's yeah. when I did my own for the first time. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And I put out this album, Everybody's Old. And then I've released a lot of albums since then, but then a lot of what's on there too are old albums that I've put on there yes, too. Yes. There's like 20 or something right now it's on there. It's incredible, man. It's incredible. Oh, thank, thank you. There's so much music. Wow. Well, um, <laughs> but um, oh, what was I going to... Uh, We're talking about... I don't know. Working yeah, I don't with know. Blake and, and yeah, uh, that'd be cool to go back to that. Yeah. The fan thing. I don't know. I don't know. I think, I hope more people are hearing the music. Mm. I think that's true. Um, I think it's pretty modest in the big picture, mm. but some of these band camp days where, you know, they, they wave their thing. I've on the first one of those, I made $800 in a, in a day. Wow. And it was like, I mean, this is like, I literally make, some i mean it's it's tricky because i have expense my studio expenses so i have my own i'm self-employed right yeah but it's like my like income is like even when i was still teaching was like eight thousand dollars a year it was so crazy mm. but it's cheap to live here my quality of life is really good i'm not complaining and it's a lot yeah. of it is a choice too but yeah so blake asked me to do this thing and um, the one thing I've got to be careful saying this so that I don't get fired, but, um, because <laughs> I think, uh, did you hear that thing about Amazon? Like, um, having this rule that like pod on podcasts that are on their, um, platform, you're not allowed to criticize Amazon. No, I have no. <laughs> yeah. <That's laughs> it's like a news item from this last month. Yeah. Wow. So the, so I, it was actually kind of cool for me because it, I'm not historically, I've been very adverse to any kind of compromise. I've been very almost dogmatically rigid about decisions. And so I made this connection with Blake and we started talking about the TV show and then we got on the phone and he said, it's, it's the TV show is being produced by Amazon. And I was like, I was like, uh oh, <laughs> you know, yeah. like the old me would have like instantly basically had to say no. 
Yeah. Um, but the simplest way to put it is that I sold out. Um, because, and it wasn't just for money. It was because I didn't want to watch myself. I just didn't want to watch myself self-sabotage again. Yeah. Like I just, and you know, there are a lot of people in my life that I talked to about it, including my therapist and stuff. And everybody was kind of like pretty supportive of me compromising this time. And, um, for me, it's like, it doesn't really have anything to do with this TV show. It has to do with Blake Mills, who's been, I mean, again, sorry, I keep saying motivated reasoning over and over again, but, um, you know, this is like somebody who got me a real job. It's what yeah. it is. Yeah. He gave me an opportunity to, to do some actual work where I would actually get paid. Yeah. I haven't been paid anything yet, but, um, because the show is like, the, none of the money that I basically last summer, I wrote 30 songs for the TV show. Uh, and then Blake would take ones he was interested in and uh, alter them. And so we had this whole setup where I'm kind of delivering way too much. But then he has all this raw and but I'm not even though I'm sending him finished songs with lyric sheets and actually all the uh, music, not fully written out like I'm just giving him chord charts basically yeah which I never do for my own music I never write it uh, yeah, well that's yeah. not true my new my instrumental stuff I write down like all my new album is all lead sheets right but um ooh, that'll be interesting yes <laughs> that'll be interesting to compare to my chart I just saw it Let's I see. think so yeah I'd be interested yeah. to, they're to probably see how identical yours they're probably identical, yeah. That slash chord thing is all exactly how I would do it, yeah. I figured because, I'm, yeah, guitar player. I don't think it's a, I don't think that's an F major nine with an E under it, though. Maybe it is. I'll have to look at it. Yeah. That's that, yeah, very did yeah. For listeners who aren't seeing what that is, that's the Sherbet and Stars Time lead sheet. Um. Yeah. So. Man, I have to say, like, it warms my heart. The fact that you wrote down my music, like, <laughs> it is so, that is not a small thing. That is, it's so, that is intimate. Mm. It, it means a lot. I really appreciate it. Sure. Um, so anyway, I sent Blake all this stuff, and then he kind of, like, I sent him basically finished, I think this was his image, but I sent him all this finished, like, furniture, and he, like, hacked it apart. <laughs> Um, which is actually doesn't bother me at all. Like collaborating is sometimes hard for me, but uh, not this way. Like, um, and it's also like the personality stuff, like for whatever, well, you know, Blake is like, he's pretty amazing. I mean, he's, he seems to be just constantly changing and the, and there's all these skills that he's had mm -hmm. that he's not even really using right now that are, I mean, he easily could have been like, you know, he kept, when he first came out, he was like, like kind of like the darling of like the baby boomer set, you know, like, and of course he did just work on that Bob Dylan album and stuff too. Yeah. But yeah, he could have stayed in that, you know, and, and it's just like, and then, Oh my God, he's like so deep. But then on top of that, you know, 
you know, every, sometimes you get somebody who's got like real success, right? And, um, you know, even people, you know, people that I've met that are in a way probably not even close to his level of success can sometimes, you know, have an ego or weird vibes and stuff. And, you know, whatever, I don't mean to be negative. Like people are like a lot of times, like really amazing, but, um, it's just like everything behind the scenes with him. And he's just, I mean, you know what it is, is like the reason that he, one of the reasons that he's been so, so successful in working with so many people is that he's basically like a social genius. I mean, yeah. I don't know him, and, but uh, that's the vibe I get also from his music. He's, 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 it seems like this guy can't be a douchebag or, or <laughs> you know, it, it just sounds and <laughs> yeah. the music has all the, the emotions in it, obviously, you know, and, and yeah, yeah, it's not all shiny and, and positive. You yeah. know, it has it has a range, uh, emotional range. But yeah, you get, I get a feel that he's a very, very nice guy. He's very nice, very open, and, you know. Yeah, yeah. And he can deal with I mean, this is weird. This is a weird thing to say, but I watched him take a risk with me and it's like, I'm a risk. Like I'm a risk. Like I, I think, I don't think it's been hard. Like I, there were times in the past where I know I was really difficult, like around that happy birthday band that I had like basically destroyed. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, my good close, one of my best friends, Kyle, Kyle Thomas, um, who's the King tough guy, he, you know, man, like if he was like, if you were getting him to tell you honest stories about like, and I'm not, again, I'm not trying to like build up this stupid genius archetype thing of like, and I'm difficult and you know, <laughs> it's not, it, it's not, it's, it's not that, but it's like, um, uh, but I was like a little bit, I was harder in the past and, 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 and inflexible and, and, um, you know, Blake didn't know me. So, but you know, he, he, uh, that's the me he could have gotten. It's just that I happen to be like, I think a little more, I hope a little more chill now and more, a little more flexible and, um, you know, I'm sober now. I was a pot. I was a really bad pot addict before, and I've been sober for four years, and I'm just doing a lot better. Yeah. So the timing was was really great, and um, yeah. So we wrote a bunch of music for this TV show. The TV show is delayed because they can't film it. Sure. But hopefully, because it's Amazon, it won't. They won't have to cancel it. They've already put so much money in it. Yeah. And I'm I'm looking to get paid hopefully something pretty significant at, at when it finally comes out. Um, and so then, you know, I, st I got that basically that, um, break, I got a break, like I got a big break is what it is. Mm. And I did all this work. And then as the, uh, as the, uh, you know, I, and I finished, I did a bunch of writing for him between a couple albums in last summer. And then I was kind of starting to be like, well, I don't know if this is possible, but I would love it if, you know, I've been teaching for so long and I'm starting to, it's, 
painful for me to say this because I pushed it down for a couple of years, but starting to burn out. Yeah. And, and um, getting sick of it. Mm-hmm. Even though my, and, and again, even though all these people that came to me are just beautiful, every student is an individual. You know this because you're a teacher. Yeah. But, you know, it's like, it's crazy, like, how true it is that everybody's different. Like, you see, you're like, here's a little scale to try, and they go to play it, and you're like, well, I've never heard anybody play yeah. totally. that way in my life. <laughs> you know? yeah. And it's like, it, it's like, and, you know, I have so much uh, um, gratitude, and it's been so deep teaching, and it was like 23 years. You know, with ever, I don't think I ever had a vacation, you know, and it was in sometimes in schools that I taught and then I had my own studio and eventually I was teaching people here that were always people that knew my music. So there, it, it got more, there got to be more ego stuff if, if that's what I was looking for, mm. which I don't know if it is, but, but I started to burn out and I started to be like, well, um, like I, I think, uh, I would like to, if I, you know, and I've, I've gotten so good at living uh, close to the ground, you know, living way within my means. Like we have this tiny little apartment and we live in this cheap area. And it's just like, I'm kind of a expert at making it work. Yeah. And um, so I was like, well, maybe when I finally get a paycheck, even though it'll probably be like, you know, not that much money maybe I can take a break from teaching and I can start to reach for this, this newer dream of maybe making somehow this is like, I don't know if anybody's doing this, but making a living somehow just by writing music and recording. That's a beautiful thought. Yeah. And, um, I mean, uh, I think it's technical, technically possible if more people know you Mm. because it seems like you're putting out, Especially in the, I mean, it seems like almost every month now. Not quite, but it's, 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 uh, I think this year I've did, um, was it, I did, I think it's five or six this year. That's incredible, man. I mean, well, they're also, they're shorter too. That's the part of the trick. Well, <laughs> it's, I mean, even if you add them up, it's not like one, one actual record a year or something which still is a lot for most yeah. most artists, you know, putting out an album each year. Yeah. But that's kind of what you're doing is kind of a, almost like, I don't know, Miles recorded a couple of albums each year, you know, but played yeah. the same pieces and you're writing new ones. So uh, yeah. <laughs> I think, I think Miles Davis is still a lot better than me, but <laughs> well, I am, I'm ha- dude, I am so, into miles right now like mm. i've obviously but i always was i was i've always been like um you know the 60s quintet obviously right and i'm sure. a huge wayne shorter person like yeah Me he's too. like my main person i'm trying to kind of reach for the voice of on this like little vinova thing i've been playing which i'm not very good at yet but i'm just getting these little vibes vinova yeah it's a new instrument that yamaha made it's like is this the one that you play on on uh, sherbet yeah because I yeah. was wondering, man, is it a tarogato or do you just have a weird sound on the soprano or what's happening, you know? Uh, what was that first instrument you said? I've never heard of that. 
I think it's a, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's an Eastern uh, maybe Bulgarian or uh, Romanian oh. a wind instrument that, that looks like a soprano, something yeah. like between a soprano and a clarinet, you know. Yeah, it has yeah. a beautiful sound. Lovano plays it as well. Um, oh, great! So you could see him playing, but but just Tarogato, check it out. It's it's a beautiful okay. sound. And yeah. man, what you get out of that instrument, it's it's a special, special um, and unique sound. And I I got a Wayne feel at certain moments. Good, good, man. Good. Yes, I, thank you. You know <laughs> how you how you play over these chords and and what what, yeah. what kind kind of notes you're reaching at and and. I was trying to play along with that solo a little bit, you know, uh, trying to, because I, I, it was once, one day, I think it was four days ago, three days ago. Yeah. I was listening to the song on repeat for the whole day. It's just, just, just that song, Whoa. you know. Sherbet and Stars, yeah. that song? Yeah. 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 That was cool, because that was one of those times when I went to take that solo, where I was like, okay, I'm going to try to try to get the solo on this the Venova. So the Venova is really funny looking. Can you show I it? I mean, no, I don't have it here. Ah, okay. But it's um, it's not an instrument that most people, when they see it, they go, "Oh, cool." They're like, <laughs> "That." It's like a really weird. Do you know the saxophone player Sam Gandell? Yeah. Oh my God, we we know each other a little bit. He's I'm so into him. He uh, I was he also plays on the on the Blake. Middles record, right? Yeah, yeah, he does. Yeah, that was a weird. I didn't meet him through Blake. I met him around another way. But huh. yeah, he does. He's he's so he's the best. He um he called the Venova a glorified PVC pipe because <laughs> it is. It's a, it costs like ninety bucks, uh -huh. and it's like so. What happened with that is like um. Oh, I just want to say the little thing about Miles, though, which is like, <laughs> go ahead. Um, so I've always kind of had this thing with Miles in the '60s quintet, which is that by that point, he's he's like obviously, I mean, obviously his talent has is so wide-reaching and so wild that it's hard to even say what it is. So I don't want to reduce, but my mental speaking of like mental stories that get rigid i had this story in my mind that that band is coming out of his energy and obviously he put that band together the 60s quintet and even if wayne's writing the music or whatever or they're playing like the old repertoire on the road or whatever it is that it all comes out of the power of this guy right and um but in my story you know i think what he had something he was young too he was younger than i am now i think he was 40 or 41 maybe when that band started is that right well he was born in 26 or 27 so that band started in, with wayne is yeah. 64 so he's in his late 30s i think so yeah 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 so he, yeah, he's, but then his body is messed up, right? Mm -hmm. Like he had to have a hip surgery and yeah. his chops aren't as that. So my little mental story is that he kind of is not as fun to listen to play his horn. And, you know, 
it's like there's this point when when you listen to I mean I I hate to mention kind of blue but I don't know I just because it's so mentioned but I don't hate to mention it because it's obviously it's the best yeah it's, amazing. it's obviously yeah. very good but um, <laughs> pretty good record yeah yeah <laughs> um, the way he's playing on that I mean it's like and you've seen that TV show footage of them doing so well and you see him and Coltrane and there's you know, it's black and white. And every note that yeah. he plays, it is like, in the timing of each note, it is insane. Yeah. I mean, it's just, a, and um, and in recent years, I've, you know, my what I've gotten really into is actually before they released this bootleg series thing, yeah. is that last tour, 1960, of Europe. With Coltrane, uh, yeah. With Coltrane. Yeah, man. And that... I realized when I was listening to that, because I got a, like a big multi-CD set of that before that. Do you know if they, this is, I'm like so Gen X, I like still buy CDs. Mm -hmm. But do you know if, um, off the top of your head, if that, um, the newer box set has any concerts that, that haven't been released before? Or is it all, I mean, obviously, I well, mean, I have like, there was some, I mean, I had the Paris concert with yes. Miles and Coltrane with the, where Coltrane is being booed off, not off stage, but he's, he's being booed They're, on at, 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 yeah, he's playing by. I don't Blackboard. think I've heard that. It's, it's on the, it's on the box set. It's on uh, the new box set. I don't have yeah. the new box set. My friend Jay Sperling said that the Paris concert's the one that yeah, is yeah, incredible. That's, that's, I mean, there are some other concerts and, and Coltrane is, I think he was in a special state during that tour. Because yes. He, yes, was he was fed up being in that band yes. and he wanted yes. to try new things. <clears throat> uh, so he's kind of reaching for it. He's really going for it. He's, yes. he's almost jumping over it. He's not going for it. He's, he's going for the next thing that's behind going for it, you know? Yes. Uh, yes. And, and, and in Paris, he's being booed and in, uh, on Bible Blackburn. So, oh my God. And, and they, they, they're kind of, they're, whistling loudly and and, and um screaming As, was he, he was almost uh, i mean it was obvious that he was ahead of his time it's like sacre uh, du printemps uh, kind of reaction yeah yeah i think yeah um weirdly oh. enough the same city right i mean uh <laughs> oh really right I mean, of course uh, yeah yes i mean that was he doing like um some of the multi-phonic stuff where he's overblown. But then also, if you just take the actual notes, what he's playing, he's like playing triads, you know. Right. Well, <laughs> here's my here's my little current story about that tour to myself, which is I I I am sticking by for now. Which is that I'm pretty sure that that's my favorite, my favorite John Coltrane playing, and my favorite Miles Davis. Like just the what. Because Miles still sounds that that clarity thing, and uh, he st he sort of sounds like the kind of blue Miles to me still. Yeah, I mean it's just um, one year after that. Fifty-seven. I thought. No, oh, is that of, from fifteen? Kind yeah. of was fifty-nine. Yeah. I thought it was fifty-seven or fifty. Oh yeah, you're right. Of course you are. Yeah. Um. Anyway, but still, yeah, he's, I mean, he's he's in that zone. Yeah. And he, I just. I just, that music is like, but, um, and then I love, I mean, I didn't, I love the other guys too. I love when, I love it when it turns, it turns it, you know, I've heard, this isn't my line. I've heard that 
well, when Miles is soloing, it's one band. When Coltrane is soloing, it's another band. And when it's the Winton Kelly trio, or is that what it would be? Yeah. It's another band, and it keeps being all these other bands. And it's like... Contrasts, yeah. It's incredible. And um, so anyway, the, I just am starting to feel like I watched a 60s quintet video the other day on YouTube of Round Midnight, which I'm kind of obsessed with that oh, song man. right now. I, I could like... We could talk about that song for an hour. Just like, it's so... Let's do it. This, and there's so <laughs> much weird, slippery text stuff about it. The way that it's titled. I don't want to go into it right now, but its title is always changing. And then Monk <laughs> never thought Miles was really playing it right. And there's the different versions. And then mm -hmm. if you want to learn the chords... And Dizzy's involvement, that, you know. I didn't know about that. I mean, he, I think he, he, he was in, uh, involved... In, at least with the intro and the outro. Oh, right. And because that, that really <sighs> sounds like Dizzy, you know, and then the outro also is, there's things in it that really sound like Con Alma, you know, and, and, uh, I don't know Dizzy very well. Mm. Um, the, uh, the, okay. So the, when I was in college, I was like, okay, like, obviously the real book changes are garbage. Like, yeah. and then later that really great, Steve Cardenas' uh, Monk fake book came out in, mm. that must have come out in 2003. I heard of, I, I, I've seen pages of it, but I, I don't have it. It's, yeah. it's, I, it's I like, it's very good. Yeah. It's super accurate or whatever. But, but then with Round Midnight, that's not necessarily useful because it's that same problem with jazz of like, there are times where you can go to the source and then you can you can just get the accurate, but that, that's not what a standard is. It's a folk thing where it's, it's not like, you can't, you can't be like, I'm going to learn the real Stella by Starlight and then just go to the original version. You're not at that point. It's like, it's not even Stella by Starlight yet. It's like, it's like this flexible changing mm -hmm. thing that's sort of made by multiple people and whatever all that. But, um, so anyways, like when I was in college, like I, I, I kind of like, and of course I always, there was no internet. So I always had to buy CDs and then I would be like, okay, like this is how the electric bebop band plays it. Like, this is how it da, da, da. Oh, they're using, you know, a B flat seven passing between the A flat minor and the C minor seven flat five instead of a D flat seven or whatever. And like learning all these little things and then kind of deciding this is my way I'll do it. This is what I'll do for the changes. Cause, and then, so recently I've had that song in my head. Mm. I was just talking to my best friend, Carl, uh, Carl DeVoulis on the phone the other day. And we we're just talking about this song for a while. And we were talking about like, just that opening melody is like, it's like, that's almost enough. It's like almost like the most genius just that it, the way that it's outlining like this sort of sus two thing and then it lands on the flat third it's like that is like the most iconic melody yeah. <laughs> ever like carl was like and miles doesn't like, play it you know right oh, especially that second time yeah he plays it with a different note one time i mean he and plays then this, e flat minor you know do, 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 do. that's what miles plays you know usually what are the what are the notes of that oh b flat uh, e flat and then he plays G flat. No, that's no. It. no. G, G flat, 
B flat, G flat, but it's. Oh my know, God, he doesn't play the F? Yeah, I mean, especially in the later thing, but uh, yeah. I, I think already also on the yeah. around about midnight, I, th I think right. that's what he plays, you know? Dude, I heard that on the radio the other day in my little community radio station. I was driving downtown to go to the studio. I can walk there, but sometimes I drive if I'm going to be like late at night. And we have this great community radio station in Brattleboro. It's like 107.7. It's like a magic, mm -hmm. it's like a magic station. Um, and they, it was like perfectly timed where on my like three minute drive to the studio to like hear that whole thing. And the thing that really killed me from it was the set at the top of the second A, Miles doesn't play the melody at all. Dun, he just, dun, dun. yes, yeah. yes, yes. I was just hearing that exact yeah. note in my head. Yeah. He just kind of says something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, it's like, what is that? It's like the most beautiful. Mm -hmm. it, it's like, I was just like, oh my God. This is, yes. It was like, I heard that whole thing and it felt like pop music to me. Like it's a, it, sometimes like, a, it, it's like all the elements cohere to where it feels like you're almost listening to like pet sounds or something mm -hmm. like you're hearing like this the most coherent like perfect record you've ever heard like mm -hmm. with every yeah the thing i was going to say though is that i was like i was like oh what are the changes of that i couldn't remember exactly what i did and i started like I was just like listening to YouTubes and I, I, I found like a West Montgomery, like, um, uh, version and uh, which is amazing. And, and then I was like, Oh, a Keith Jarrett, a Keith Jarrett thing popped up and it was like him playing alone. I didn't see when it was, it looked like the eighties or the, maybe the early nineties. Do you know what I'm talking about? Have you seen Keith no. play this song? No. <laughs> I put it on with the express purpose of being like, well, you know, cause sometimes with, and we obviously we need to talk about Gary Peacock, but like, like he, you know, you can be like, well, what do they decide on for the chords? Cause I think they decided on the chords. Mm -hmm. I know it's like weird to even talk that way about Keith. Like, no, hey, I, get, I don't think so. Because you know, I, I've, I've seen, I've seen footage of them going through standards and a sound check also. Oh, wow. So, um, so I think, yeah, I think they talk about, I mean, I, I've seen footage of, of, uh, then also, I think, uh, Jack at the piano. Yeah. Trying to figure out the songs, you know, that they're going to play. Yeah. Right? Oh my God. Those guys. Oh, but, um, yeah, it's Keith and he's playing it. And I was, I was like, yeah, I wonder what he's, what he's doing for the changes. And the answer to that question ends up being, I, if it was insane. I mean, I can't, I literally can't talk about it. It sounded like Messiaen or something. It was like, he's, he, he ends up, he's improvising the harmony mm. and he ends up doing something that's actually kind of, I mean, I know that that it descends from the E flat, but it's like, he descends a different way from it. And in, instead of, he does something like a more normal, almost like he kind of just travels down from one to five with in this other way, but he's getting into these, like, I don't know how else to say it, but like enlightened chord voicings uh -huh. that are sometimes pretty dissonant, but of course, like always like the voice leading is impeccable, mm. but it's like 
I'll send it to you after we're done with this. Yeah. But it it was. I'm not sure if I heard I heard them uh, heard those guys play. No, no, it was just Keith alone. Oh, it's just Keith alone. Solo. Oh, okay. Yeah, and oh. it's it's on YouTube, and it was like. I mean, I know you're a Keith guy, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you're not. Are you? Have you had to? You've had to put that away though, because you play piano. You've had to bury that at points, so no. it doesn't get. No, okay, no, good, no. good. I mean, Keith is not my um, my all-time hero. I mean, that yeah. I, I would say I'm. Uh, that's Herbie for me. Herbie, yeah. But yeah. you know, my father, uh, he's a piano player. So, and his guys were Keith and Chick and Herbie. Yeah. But I think more. Yeah. Keith and Chick. So I I grew up listening to Keith and those guys. Yeah. So yeah. facing you and and you know the yeah. standards and and the, the, the European quartet, American yeah. quartet, little, little bit solo records. You know, um, yeah, yeah. That's I, I know that stuff. You know, so and, and yeah. it's very important for me. But I say yeah. my my favorite Keith is facing you and with Miles actually. That's my favorite Keith. The cellar door sessions. Yeah, live evil. Oh you know. Live Evil. Yeah. Those two songs on that album that are Hemito. Yes. Yeah. That that's the highest. Mm. That's the highest art ever. It's incredible, yeah. Totally. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Little Church is like Yes. Yeah. And that's, that's the highest. Yeah. Where he that's some enlightened chords that he's playing yeah. there on the organ. Yeah. Yeah, my favorite Keith is Spirits. You told me. You told me. Yeah. And uh, it had a lot to do with that interview that I, I got you to buy that book. Yes. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Like what, what, Edward Strickland, I think, is his name. Yeah. I'm right now reading the, the Steve Reich uh, yeah. interview. Yeah. It's also good. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, I read all of it at some point. I like mm. the Meredith Monk a lot, too. Oh, yeah. I have to get into that one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I can't, I can't remember what where, where we are, but I did want to <laughs> say a little more about the I like digressing, man. I, I like so, me too. I know, I know. I've heard you your know. stuff, man. I, I, like I know your when, shit. I know your shit. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, dude, that Ben Street is like that has got to be like the most iconic. That that's like the best interview of all time. <laughs> Seriously, oh, thank you. I I. It was weird for me because I, I mean, we haven't talked too much about Rosenwinkel, but like, that's like my main, I mean, and that group in particular, those four guys. And, um, so, so my story with, with Ben Street is that, um, I'm from New Hampshire, which is across the river from here. And went to school like an hour south of Portland, Maine. Mm. So a lot of the guys like my friend Carl and my friend Rob Gary and a lot of my friends and peers at UNH were from Maine. And um, the main jazz scene is like, it's weird. It's like, there's a bunch of specific reasons like this guy, Paul Lichter, who used to put shows on. In fact, Kurt Rosenwinkel played in Portland, Maine I used to ask my friend Carl about this show for, this is how I found out about Kurt Rosenwinkel's. Me and my buddy Carl were at UNH, where it was like 1995. And he said, my, and he was sort of like, we had this weird thing where he was, he was going to UNH as a jazz guitar major. But, and then I was going to UNH as an undecided. And we, 
both changed our minds right as we were going into school. He decided not to do jazz guitar, even though he'd already been accepted, um, and to go into philosophy. Mm. I don't know if he got that major right away, but then I went in with an undecided and was like, I'm going to do music. And we met, we crossed paths, and I could tell you more about that story, but, um, and it was early on in there, like I, I had always listened to, to jazz, but was not, I, I, did, I couldn't play it yet, really. I knew a lot about harmony and theory through songwriting. I was already like a fully in on mm. music, but I, I didn't have any chops on any instrument. Like I, I was gonna maybe play bass and, um, but Carl was like, he was different. He was like a high school kid who kind of could play jazz, right? which is like not that rare, but I wasn't at that level. Yeah. So he ended up showing me a lot of music that I didn't know yet. I didn't really know. I had already listened to a bunch of stuff, like, but there was a lot I hadn't heard. He showed me Pat Metheny and all this like incredible music. Like These, those just... people are amazing, right? I mean, to have somebody like that who's older or maybe more, more experienced than you or yeah. knows more yeah. in a certain area and he's like, you have to listen to yes. this record and you oh my god do you know i'm sure you're the same way i'm sure you remember when and how he he showed you what record where you drove maybe in the car you know listening yeah, to certain yeah. records and and especially in that age you're so soaking soaking everything you know digging everything and and yeah. taking it in so so uh, i mean intensely you know yeah yeah i mean oh, man. yeah carl is actually a couple years younger than me because oh, okay. i took a year i took a year off but um and then my birthday it just what but <laughs> i always but the but i was never uh, it, he was always my equal or somebody i looked up to how it felt and that's still true actually but um yeah i remember he, so he was like, you know, he, he showed me, I don't know if you know this Pat Metheny group album, We Live Here. It's not, it's so good. Mm. It's, 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 it's not one of the really big canonized ones. And mm. I love all the really, the, the agreed upon greatest. I, I'm funny about Pat. Like, um, I had a lot of friends in jazz over the years who would be like, I like it when he plays more straight ahead, like question and answer or something. But the group is too corny for me, basically. Right. And I've almost always been the opposite yeah. where, and I saw the group a few times, like in the late 90s, early 2000s. And I just like adore, like First Circle or uh, Off Ramp or Still Life Talking or whatever. But We Live Here is my all-time favorite because that was the conversion experience. Mm. And on that album, I think they were like living in Miami or something and absorbing a lot of like what I believe might be called New Jack Swing or something. Mm. I think it was dance music from that time. Certain beats like, you know, like these yeah, certain yeah, yeah. beats. And then the, the group and... That album is so good. And I just, there was this feeling of being, I mean, I've always been interested in allowing myself to fall in love with things that were 
um, that felt like they weren't necessarily cool or whatever that even, I mean, that doesn't even mean anything. Sure. Yeah. Maybe it did more mean something in the past than it does now. Maybe now there's people feel more validated in their interests, whatever they are, because the internet, I mean, there's so many bad things about the internet, but there's so many good things too. Mm. But, um, there was something about like, almost like a baptism, like where I was like, no, I can like this. And it was like, That's it sounded like smooth. It was like, sounded like smooth jazz, mm. you know? It's incredible. But, um, so anyway, Carl's like, yes, but you know, these are all these guys. And he would, at the time, what was happening was we were, he was dubbing cassettes for me from his CD collection. Sure. And, um, and then he's like, but my favorite guitar player is Kurt Rosenwinkel. And I was like, who is that? And he's, well, I, I just saw him up at this show up in Maine, like, and, um, you know, he doesn't have any albums yet, but he's on this album called The Call. Do you have The Call? Sure. Yes, 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 yes. That's, I probably listen to The Call more than any other person on earth. That's my <laughs> guess. Seriously. It's a great record. It's so good. Yeah. And then Yam Yam is its companion, really. Okay. You have Mark Turner, Yam Yam? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Those which go my, together for they, you. They do, yeah. Yeah. It's I mean, I got them around the same time. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're different bands, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, one of them is like Brad Meldow Trio with yeah. Mark Turner and Kurt Rosenwinkel. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The songs on that, though, like the opening song, Yam Yam and stuff. And Lazy Bird, right? Yeah. Like all. No, Lady Bird. Lady Bird. Yeah. Some, Moments Notice is on there, too. Yeah. Maybe that. Yeah. It's just, yeah. But so, anyway. Um, Carl told me about this guitar player. It, it, we, I was literally, I was one of the first super fans of Kurt Rosenwinkel. I was in the first wave. And there was no inner, the first thing I ever looked up on the internet was Kurt Rosenwinkel. <laughs> and that was like, that was like five years later. Because mm -hmm. I wasn't like an early adopter. I like, it was probably like in 99 or something. Yeah. But, um. so, and then, the other thing is, is that we had this friend, I had this friend there at UNH who was an incredible bass player. He, he was like an older brother guy who taught us a lot because he had been to William Patterson. Mm. He, he's an amazing musician who lives in New York now. His name is Chris Van Voorst Van Beest. It's a Dutch name. <laughs> How long we is his name? I thought it would never stop. Say again. <laughs> yeah, Chris... we call him the Chris Van Voorst than based but based is spelled b-e-e-s-t is it a double last name it's a long dutch last name <laughs> because just they usually this. just have one van fun you know they just have one he is he's got a couple <laughs> but he he's he is an unbelievable musician like he so he didn't come in my freshman year he came back to unh my sophomore year and he had been like playing sessions in new york and he was on a, from this little state school, he was just so far ahead of everybody else, like as an acoustic bass player. Um, unbelievable. I, I, and, and he, you know, would play with me all the time, even though we played together all the time. We we're friends, but he was, you know, it was also like he, he didn't have to play with me. Yeah. Um, but uh, so Chris, 
Chris actually had been basically mentored by Ben Street. Ah. Like Chris was like a weird genius who didn't play bass at all until his senior year of high school. And this was only probably four years later. Mm. And he was like a god or something. He sounded like Larry, Larry Grenadier was his guy. And he sounded like him, like, or he mm. sounded like himself, but he could play like that and that melodic and everything. Mm. Like he could play a melody over like anything mm -hmm. with the perfect shape of every note and the perfect yeah. attack and like the best time ever. Mm. And um, yeah, so I heard about Ben, I got, you know, I heard about Ben Street this, this way through friends who had known him and my friend Robert Stillman, who lives in England now with yeah, another. Yeah, I know him, yeah. You know Rob? Yeah, we've you played together, personally? yeah. What? Yeah. Rob is like, yeah, I've known Rob for years. He's a little younger than me and he was way ahead of, when I first met him, he was like a prodigy yeah. and I was like, kind of like not that great, mm. but we're, we're friends now. We have some music we're working on and stuff right now. Oh, I would love to hear you guys together. What's you know what it is? What's your favorite record of his? Of Rob's? I can't, I don't, I'm not as good with the names of his albums. I've heard them all. I, I know him so well that what ends up overpowering it for me with Rob is like, is like times that I heard him play like I was at a gig or something in the mm. late nineties and I heard him play. Like he's still, that's where the most, I would play together a little couple of years ago, some gigs with the, uh, my brother and this guy, Elliot Krimsky. I feel like I'm messing up his last name, but I think I'm just nervous about that. I, feel, I don't think I am. Um, Rob is deep. He's an amazing person. Yeah. He's another person that street like kind of mentored. Like he took him to, uh, like I've been talking to Rob, uh, we've been emailing about Sonny Rollins, who I'm kind of, I've kind of never fully converted to him until recently. That's one thing I love about jazz so much is like. You get another um, chance sometimes, right? Yeah I, yeah, I think for me, I've always, and this kind of relates to that Pat Metheny thing I was saying, I've always really tried to tell the truth to myself. So if there's somebody that, everybody loves that you know is like incredible but he's not if i'm not responding to it i i'm not like it's bad or something i just i don't i try I, i'll try but i'll wait you know yeah. and sunny was kind of like that for me and now i'm kind of just like hearing certain solos and stuff and like rob told me to get alfie mm. that album and the second song, I don't remember what it's called. I think it's a ballad kind of. Mm -hmm. It's like the most ridiculous. It's perfect. It's so good. Mm -hmm. So we've been talking about, we've been talking about Sonny. And he was like, yeah, Ben Street took me around the corner to the CD store and bought me. What's that one? East uh, Broadway Rundown or something? Oh, what's that one called? Yeah. That's, I think that's the yes. name. That's with Jimmy Garrison and Evan and Freddie Hubbard. Yeah, yeah. So there's a story of like street, like takes this kid, right? It's a kid. Rob Stillman's like in high school and he takes him around the corner and spends whatever it was, $15 or $18.99 and just buys him that album. Yeah. Like he's a powerful. So I, I kind of knew that stuff. And then I also had this, and of course I know the, the, 
all that music so well. And then I had this weird experience a couple of years ago where I was down in Northampton, Mass., which is 50 minutes from here. It's like kind of here, basically. And I was in this music store with my brother, Kurt, and we were like back. I don't know why we were back in this weird room. It's a beautiful store on this corner. And we were back in the room with the basses. And we were just hanging out. We were probably going to go do something else. We we're just in there for a minute. And then all of a sudden, Ben Street's standing next to me. Yeah. On my turf, you know? Yeah. And I was just like, I was like, Ben Street. And he was like, <laughs> and we started talking. And I was yeah. like, you know, I was like laying it on pretty thick. I was like, you know, your your band with Kurt Rosenwinkel is is one of the most important groups like ever. And he told me that amazing story that he told you on the podcast of him and Kurt being in like Kurt's room yeah, in New York figuring out the and, and then he's trying to find the, and, and trying to find the bass note. And they just are not, they don't have any logic they can use. Mm. He just plays it. And he's like, and then he's like, Oh, try it up and off. It's like a D try it up an octave. And they're yeah. like, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the best story. Yeah, yeah. But, um, so yeah, apparently he moved out of New York. Did he, he didn't talk about this on that interview at all. No. I don't think. Did you know he lived in the Berkshires now? No, I didn't. I didn't know. Yeah, he doesn't live in New York. He or unless he moved again back. I don't think he did. He lives closer to up here now. Mm -hmm. And um, in fact, one time I even ran into him in the Brattleboro Public Library, which is the an under fun. It's a beautiful little place, but it's not a fancy library. This is a very small town. Mm. And he was in there, and I was like, "What the fuck?" But um, I didn't. I didn't fully understand his personality until I heard that podcast. Like what a mm -hmm. spicy, what an amazingly um, charismatic and kind of frightening man he is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it honestly made, it honestly made his like, him seem more like his he already had this like superhero status to me like he mm. was like five years older than me it's like yeah. the perfect age to be like but um yeah that was a beautiful that was an amazing interview and he's ben street is such a freaking he's so good at i love it when he's like i when he's mad that people are crit criticizing Keith making noises while he, he's like, yeah. hasn't he given you enough already? Yeah, yeah, right. Or like when he, and then I went out and bought Affinity, that album oh. after you guys were talking about that album. I always love Toots, like, yes. but somehow hadn't, hadn't really heard that album yet. And you know what, when you played over Sherbet and Stars also, it has, oh, a, yeah, Toots, yeah. Thank it you. has a, has a Toots vibe, you know, thank you. Uh, choices and, 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 Bending things, you know. Yes. Listen, here's my story about the Vinova, which is that when I was in high school, I, um, my favorite movie was Midnight Cowboy. Have you ever seen it? Yes. I was obsessed with that movie when I was in high school, and the score has Toots playing on that descending thing. Do you remember it? No, I only saw it once, and maybe that's. Um... It's like, it's like. And it goes in 
leave it to be flat after that, but it's so, and it was just, I loved it so much. And, um, and when I was actually, I was in, when I was in high school, uh, my first instrument was the alto saxophone oh. and, um, I was horrible. Like I never, I had a horrible embouchure. I was like biting yeah. classical style. I never practiced. And I, in high school, I was in this like jazz group with my friends and we wrote the music we wrote was pretty cool, but I was so bad. I just moved my fingers around. I was so, <laughs> it's the most unmusical thing I've ever done in my life was my alto saxophone playing. It sounded bad. It was bad in every way. It really was very bad. <laughs> really bad. And I get the I, picture. <laughs> <laughs> and I stopped, you know, in college. I never played. I, I, and then I borrowed one. It's on a couple of my albums. Like I borrowed one and tried to play, mm. but it hurt. It, everything about it was bad vibes. And but I also, like, by the time I was in college and I was into jazz, there was part of me that was like, wow, I really wish I had taken the saxophone seriously because it would be a lot cooler to play alto saxophone than fucking guitar. Like, on some level, guitar is, like, it's beautiful because it's like the piano where you can, you can get into the counterpoint and there's so much there. But in terms of just, like, what you can do with a note, it, I mean, another thing Ben Street said that affected me about you is when he at the very beginning of that interview was complimenting your touch and everything. And then you sent me that video yesterday I watched and just watching you is like, you know, you're doing that thing with piano where it's like a weird form of magic, right? Where you take something that's technically like the guitar is kind of button pushing. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. But you, you have to, and it's a real game to get beyond that, mm. you know? It's like, it's a sense, it's, it is probably like literally magic is probably what it is. Mm. Um, but you know, and the guitar, if I sit down at a, I'm not good on piano. I can kind of, I can play chords on a piano. I can't really play melodies, but, um, I, I can't cross. So I can play melodies like in a, in a spot. I never learned oh, how to like, right. I see. Mm -hmm. Actually, that was one thing I was picturing us talking about was like, you know, guitar is like, sometimes I'll talk to a piano player or anybody who plays an instrument with the guitar, obviously there's like five middle C's on it or something, mm. you know, because of the different strings. But one thing I haven't really heard people discuss before, but I think is true is that although on the guitar you get like different, um, you have to like every place you are there's new ways to play those notes right so it's yeah. so, so it's really you know complex and hard to learn but honestly i don't really think it's different from learning how to finger a note on the piano with different parts of your hand depending on where your hand is sitting yeah i'm i'm st my my problem is that i'm still fascinated by the first sentence you said that's always when I think about how a guitarist figures out how to play something that there's so many middle C's or so many versions of that note on the, yeah. Yeah. That it's hard for me to compare because I haven't fully understood it yet. I mean, I, I, yeah. I know I, I understand the concept, but still I'm so used to the piano that when I yeah. try to play a, a, 
kind of a when I, I, I fumble around on the guitar, I try to play a, a um, uh, uh, what is it? What's the word now? Uh, a scale, sorry, a scale. When I'm trying to play a scale, I always do it on one string because it. Yeah, yeah. That's more how I see it. You know, I see it. On, sure. That's how I see it. But if I yeah. want to change strings, that totally fucks up my my understanding. I, that makes sense. Yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah. Well, the the vi the visual image that I've when I that I've said millions of times because I taught for so many years. Which who knows? I may get stuck going back. You know, now that I'm like saying it's not in my heart to do it anymore, I think that I think part of the reason I'm saying that is so that I find a way to to move on. You know, but um, I think the the best way to think of the guitar is as six. So you know how some synthesizers are monophonic or whatever. You can't play. Yeah. It's six monophonic keyboards layered ah, on top of each other with right. with ranges that overlap some yes so the bottom one is to the left of you and then they're going diagonally yeah but that makes and sense and you're learning what you're learning how to do is just move between them yeah but because i think of the and that and there's no doubt about it like when i got into learn like i was a good guitar player before i really really got deep with knowing every note that i was playing what it was how it related to the key how it related to the chord yeah. it was a ton of work yeah and um it was i'm not saying it's easy but i do think now that i can play the guitar that way like i mean i can visualize anything on the i mean obviously when we learn theory we we're really learning to visualize it on a piano right mm. like that's like it's just the best picture of it sure that internal piano that that is somewhere yeah. here, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I can see the piano great, you know, but because my hands can't travel well on the piano, I mean, I can voice lead anything easily. Yeah. I was probably better. I needed, I really, it's another life goal. I really want an acoustic piano. I don't have one in my life right now. I have a Yamaha DX7. It's just, I, ne I only play it for recording. It's, I don't sit down and play it. Yeah. I, I, I like even that piano that's behind you seeing that. I'm like, that's like the one thing in this world. I'm like jealous. I really want to yeah. have a piano. Yeah. But um, yeah. You anyway, should give I, you one. I mean, that town <laughs> should give you, give you a piano. The place that I rent right now is not good for one because it's above a store and it would be a little loud and piano people don't care about piano. Oh, I mean, <laughs> here you're not some, I mean, they don't yeah. get annoyed or it's, it's not like violin or trombone or drums or, or Vin something. Vanova. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's, it's more like, I mean, if, if you can do all the stuff that you're doing yeah. there now, yeah, that I assume is on the record. Uh, What's on the record yeah. said you, you you're doing it there. Yeah, yeah. You can play piano there for sure. Here's the <laughs> what I but I, what I want to do is I actually it's another little little fantasy is that I I would like to I think I'm attaching having a piano to having a new space at some point and it's all contingent on actually having some money which I don't have any of and um it's not true I don't have any I have money saved that's how I'm living right now but 
Yeah, anyway, I, that was something that I pictured us talking about, but we don't have to talk about. But I, I just think that that thing with the different notes on the guitar, like, I think I have this feeling that it's like, I don't really know how to articulate this in like a better way than saying, I think it's, it has to do with, I think it's the, oh, I'll just say it. I think it's the same as when you learn how to play piano in a way that I can't, where your hand learns all of these things that it learns to do unconsciously about when to cross yeah. And well, when I go down there, I'm not just going to want to get that one note. I'm also going to want to get the note a whole step below it. So I've got to cross a little more mm. or whatever it is. I, I don't actually know what that's like. Yeah. But I think that the guitar is essentially like that. It's like wherever you are, if you want to go like, there's like a way to do it. And, and you learn in each spot. It's like wherever you are, you learn how you can do those things. And it's, I think it's probably closer to a keyboard than people assume you mean. Yeah, I think I don't know. Maybe maybe not, but I think it's yeah, I I assume it's the same for every instrument you that um the more you do it, the more you find other ways to to go somewhere. Yeah. It just gets hammered into your subconscious more and more, you know. Yes. And like transposing a standard and then figuring out, oh, that change is now it's here. And oh, so, right. You know, right. Everything matters. Yeah. That's what true. it is. Everything matters. Yeah. Ab the, the instrument, the key. Yeah. And also, uh, I, I think that's a nice thought for, for practicing or I don't really, I, I really have a problem with it, calling it practicing. At least my, it's more spending time with music. And yeah. I see it a little bit connected to uh, video games that mm. you get experience points for everything. Yes. Yeah. And that the statistics <laughs> are always going on in the background. Yeah. But there are certain moments, uh, like that moment when you, uh, when the two five melody came back to you, but in a changed yeah. way. Uh, yeah. These are the moments where you're like, okay, you just traveled 4,000 miles by foot. Yeah, that's kind yeah. of a experience points reward that you get sometimes in yeah. video games or something. The statistics have been rolling the whole time, but you were practicing, you were traveling, you were playing. I don't know, but yeah. there's one certain moments where you're like, that was worth it, you know. Yeah. But you yeah. don't get it right away, and you don't get it, especially not in the moment where you're like, yeah, so where is that other middle C? Hang on, you know. Yeah. You don't get yeah. it then. But still, right. you know, right. Um, so I'm trying to I'm trying to uh, uh, enjoy the process as much as possible, not to think about the the end result, because I that thought has sunken in a lot to me. It's like, you know, even if I'm not working on something that I should work on, if I if I transcribe this song today, it'll make me a better musician. Absolutely. At some point, yeah. you know. The thing that I, the only thing that I would say that that and I'm different than you with that at least lately but I mean I do have like a I'm I've been kind of more into like this very rigid practicing mm. um but um it's like exact amounts of time and everything wow but that's part well let, let, I I can let me paint that 
a little, I mean, I agree with you though, fundamentally. I think that there's a unified reality in which everything always matters. And, and particularly, yeah. I think as long as, you, as long as you're paying attention, mm. that's one thing I think that matters. I think it, and I don't mean acting in some false, like mindful, I actually hate the word mindful, even though I'm a meditator and everything like, um, I don't mean like some sanctimonious air about like, if you're just like excited to figure some shit out, you're not like acting really, you know, mindful. I mean, that would be a bad idea, but, um, but I mean, there is some, but maybe it doesn't even matter if you're quote paying attention, you know, maybe it doesn't, maybe nothing matters. It just doing it, just doing the music, but, I don't know if if it's if, because I hear stories about guitar players saying that yeah you can practice anytime you can watch TV you can do anything right. you know I don't think that's the way I don't I, I don't no, I, I, I really agree. don't think because that then it's finger memory or then it's I don't know there's a dangerous thing that can happen which is like it's like a body without a soul yeah yeah it, it's and it's a particular disease that guitar players can have when yeah. they're playing because the thing that's interesting is yeah it's like yeah i i i I agree you shouldn't watch television while you're playing i mean because the you hear these people who um i I don't like to dwell on negative but there is at least at least hypothetically there's a bad guitar player that exists that um moves their fingers around very adeptly but you don't feel like it's embodied or it's not coming yeah the reason that i can i mean i suppose i could be faking this to myself but i have that whole problem with um there being like um the bud powell or keith jarrett it's not as bad as jarrett but that um i kind of am i'm kind of suppressing something like singing whenever i'm soloing on the guitar okay i'm like you know like the whole time yeah. And I'm not really conscious. It actually, I think it actually feels good to do it. it but it's, a, I think it's, a, it's essentially something like it feels almost like um, a leak or something. <laughs> like I'm, I'm moving, I'm locating my voice through this thing. And I'm literally like getting a breath at the end of phrases and everything, even though that's not, that's not, and of course, tons of piano players and guitar players are like this. Mm. But, um, and there were times where I tried to make it go away. And mm. for a long time, I didn't know Rosenwinkel sang when he was playing because a lot of the early recordings, you don't hear that he's doing. I remember the first time I heard it because I was obsessed with I have to stop singing or yeah. maybe I should let myself sing. Yeah. You know, I'd be playing in a cafe and I'd be like, Where's the Rosenwinkel? <laughs> you know, Woo! <laughs> it's like, yeah. you know, it but um, <laughs> I still have all that. Um, yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. There's some there, particular importance with the non-breath instruments to make sure that the soul of your voice, whatever that means, is going through the instrument. Yeah. And there are ways you can spend time with the instrument where that doesn't matter or something. Mm. And that's bad. I think that's bad. Maybe maybe the place where it's not bad is if you're just switching chords back and forth when you first get started. You know, just on guitar, junk, 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 you know. Mm. 
that might be something you could do while you're watching mm-hmm. something. But the thing about the Vanova for me is like, um, is this unfinished business thing that I'm getting to deal with now at this part of my life, which is that when I was in the late nineties, uh, I was kind of starting to get a handle on the guitar, like as a real instrument. And I was really into toots and I was, there's some toots on Pat Metheny too. That's really good. And, mm. uh, um, you know, his solo on always and forever on uh, secret story. Always and forever is this, uh, yeah, that's it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He comes, when he comes, he's like, yeah. rah, 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 rah. it's so, <laughs> it, it, it's like the most powerful entrance, you know, yeah. it's like, oh, yeah. but, um, it's also a beautiful song. Incredible. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, so anyway, it was like the late nineties and I started getting into Karen Mantler. Do you know her? She's, um, Carla Blaze's daughter. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I don't really know who Mike, I always know Mike Mantler as a name, but I, but Karen, yeah. you know, started making these crazy albums where they're all about her cat. <laughs> no, I and don't know. they're they're actually on that subsidiary of ECM. That's right. It's like, yeah, yeah. And Mark showed me her music in the actually the same day he told me about Joe Maneri, who I'm obsessed with. Mm. Do you know his music? Yeah. Joe Maneri is is the father of uh, Matt Maneri. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Who I also I need to get love. into because. Uh, I need to get Those into Joe best. because because uh, people told me about him and I don't, you know I haven't. He's incredible. Yeah. It's very wild, but it's mm. very beautiful. I actually got to meet him before he died and even played with him once. Wow! Because this weird coincidence that I was teaching at this little school in New Hampshire and the piano teacher there, who well, I can't remember her name now, I think it was Catherine something, was very close friends with the Minaries. Mm. Because, you know, we're only an hour north of Boston. And so this person who had been in uh, in uh, the Maneri's life now happened to live an hour north in this little town in New Hampshire where I taught. And um, we so he came and did a little clinic there for for like a few students. And I got to I got to uh, there are two times I got to hang out with him and, and play wow. a little bit with him. But um. So anyway, my friend Clark showed me these these two artists that he was into at the time. I hadn't seen him in a while, and he showed me Karen Mantler uh, and uh, Matt Maneri. And Karen Mantler is like all these. It's really weird music. Um, it's really good. She's an organ player too, but she wrote these songs, and they were all. And it was probably right as I was getting back into the idea of now that I had all this this much wider palette and skill set that that I started to get intrigued by how messed up I could I could make songs you know or it's not the right way to put it but you know just how open it was you know mm-hmm. and um inclusive yeah and yeah and 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 how many different tones it could take and and she was an example of like feeling that and she's a incredible chromatic harmonica player and I was already into toots and I bought a chromatic harmonica and I was like, I am going to learn, I'm going to learn a second instrument because I really have this part of my heart that really responds to that sound and really wants to be able, cause I can sing 
but it's not the same. And I can play the guitar or I can play a keyboard with a cool setting or whatever, but there was this emotion that I got when I would hear Karen or Toots or, mm. or, or just a great soprano player or Wayne or somebody playing on Native Dancer or something. Mm-hmm. My, it's, Herbie's on that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that's probably one of my favorite Wayne albums. Mm. It's actually made the year I was born, 1975, or released that year. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and I, so it was, this is like 99 or 2000. I got this harmonica and I just never did it. And it's like 20 years later now. And I've been sort of thinking about it for 20 years. Like, well, I didn't do that. And um, my brother, Kurt, who I haven't really talked about, um, is a couple years younger and he's an incredible musician. He has some music you can hear. He's like a person you could, could be a lot, a lot, many stories about him, but he, he's an amazing musician who used to make records and stuff, but he, now that he's in his early forties, he's all just doing early music. He learned, he's learning the Cornetto. He's doing this like crazy serious study thing. And he's totally not like a, you know, uh, a guy who's putting out albums or anything, but he's like, one thing that used to happen with Kurt is that like, I would have a friend who found it, he would hear my songwriting or something and they'd be really into it. Like this guy is crazy. He's really great. And then they would hear my brother <laughs> and they would become a little more interested in him. <laughs> um, he's a, he, he's an amazing, amazing musician and mm-hmm. plays literally plays you know that you say oh he played every instrument it's like no he plays like the rock instruments but this is a guy who really is a very very good like flute player and mm. a serious trombone player who's now doing like sack butt stuff and an incredible guitar player you know all these instruments and like did you ever have him on any of your recordings i kind of don't think so no i was on a little of his stuff but It's almost like our relationship has been so close over the years that I don't think he's on anything, weirdly. Mm. No. But um, so anyway, but the, my brother, Kurt, even though he's younger, has like, there's been a lot of important parts of my life where he's just kind of pointed at something and then that became my thing. And like, the really... Um, The really big example is when I, we got back from England and I was in sixth grade and my brother was in third grade and he had this friend down the street named Kurt, uh, Kurt, I'm sorry, Paul Rosencrantz. And um, my brother came home one day, like literally just down the street in Dover, New Hampshire, where we lived. And he was like, There's this uh, record that you should listen to. We were just listening to it, um, you know, and it was Sgt. Pepper. And it was like, so my brother showed me the Beatles <clears throat> and then everything in my Your life. My younger brother probably, showed you the Beatles. Yeah, yeah. It's oh, usually, yeah. There's usually been many the other times, way around. Yeah. There's been many times where it's been reversed that way. Mm -hmm. um, and one of them was that this year, Kurt was like, hey, uh, uh, this is like in January. Kurt was like, hey, um, There's a, uh, we were like at it. This is back when we used to be able to hang out. We'd be at a, we we're at a show or something. Mm. 
And he was like, there's a um, new instru Yamaha instrument. It's kind of a little bit, it's like a soprano saxophone recorder hybrid. Mm. And my brother and I did record a re an early music recorder group a couple years ago, mm -hmm. but it was like early on in Kurt's like early music thing. And it was like, um, he was, uh, he got really good at it. And like, I kind of just was like barely competent for this little group where he like zoomed into like, he's like kind of like a quasi professional now, or he's getting there. Mm. And, um, but I liked it, you know, I sort of played recorders and I felt that, oh my God, like a wind instrument that's not where I have a sound I like. And, mm -hmm. you know, my re I'm not a great recorder player, but it's on some of my records. Yes. And, um, on your records. yeah, particularly mm -hmm. in the last couple of years, mm -hmm. but it's on transparency too, even though I couldn't really play it then. Mm -hmm. Um, but, um, I, I promise there's a little bit of empty space after this part of the story, and then we can see where, see if maybe you can talk or something. Um, <laughs> but um, he was like, hey, there's this instrument, and it's like, you know, we should get him. Because Kurt just like, he's, he, he's almost like an addict with um, playing instruments. And he mm. will pick it up, and he will sound, he'll be self-effacing. He's not like, I'm good. He's acting like, I can't do this. But then he really does he's like playing a bagpipe or something yeah. and you're just like what the fuck and he's like shredding and mm. it's like playing the deepest you know he could be there's so many different things he could do yeah and like he could be keith jarrett <laughs> wow i th i mean i really think so I mean, he could be a keith 20 different instruments on stage and he would just pick up different ones mm. but but it, but it also matters that that's not what he's chosen to do too. It's not like that would be a better version of his life. It's like yeah. his life is cool. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I mean, he's my brothers, of course. Like, but I, I'm, you know, with a grain of salt. But, but not really. Um, but uh, yeah. So we got these Vinovas. I was like, get them for us, because I don't have a card to use on the internet. I'm like weird. I don't do get them for us. And then it was his birthday and I bought them. They're 90 bucks each. So I just bought them for both of us. And then I started, I was like, I'm not going to screw this one up. Like I, and it was perfect because if I, I, for years I was like, maybe I should get a soprano saxophone, mm -hmm. but there was this feeling I'm a huge Steve Lacey fan. Oh yeah. And like, a, I, I had a conversion experience with him in Austin. Mm -hmm. Like I went, I thought Roswell Rudd was going to play who I'm obsessed with. And he wasn't there, but it was Steve who I did, hadn't really heard yet. But it was one of those classic times where you convert to another musician while you're in the room with them, mm -hmm. like really old school. Mm -hmm. Like he was playing melodies in the room and I was just like, oh my God. Mm -hmm. Like, and he became like my, one of my main guys like that minute. Yeah. But this is in like 2002 or something. Mm -hmm. But, um, and I always thought about Ornette playing a plastic saxophone and um, and then it, like a real saxophone just seemed like, I just, I love Keith playing soprano and stuff, but I just didn't want to disrespect it. And like, I didn't have enough money to buy. And so this weird joke instrument that I'm playing basically that as far as I can tell actually has more of the stuff that I'm looking for than an actual saxophone would. Like the, it's very volatile. Like there's that some notes you can actually bend third, depending on how you lip it. 
a third. Wow. A minor third, some mm. notes, yeah. And a lot, well, maybe that's an exaggeration. There are definitely some that you always have to lift down, like they're going to be a, like, it's very volatile, and it's um, very important that I'm like really hearing everything before I play it, and just the tone of it, the feel of it, and I have this wonderful um, that's not bitey at all, and I've just been practicing that for six months, two hours a day. Wow! Like an hour of it is like, an hour of it is just simple sequences through keys and long tones. Mm-hmm. And then improvising with tetrachords, like it's very rigid, but it's like, I'm basically having a, and this may well be like to the dismay of people who like, I mean, it would be like, like, you know, like maybe people like the singing and I I don't, I'll probably sing more, but there is this, (laughs) I'm drawn to this thing that's verse basically. It's, it's like, it's pretty intense sound, you know, and I'm just, I'm, I'm basically having like a rebirth into this wind instrument. And unlike with the guitar where there's all this like, yeah. you know, tension, almost tension. It's like this, and even stinging is like, it's not my truest home. I like it a lot, but there's something about this wind thing that's just fucking, mm. and yes, toots. I can hear that, like, oh, I'm finally getting a sound, like, yeah, and yeah, like that Sherbet and Star solo. That was a solo where I was like, okay, I'm gonna put a solo on this. I'm probably not good enough on this instrument to get this to happen yet. And then I played that, and while I was playing it, I was like, this sucks. <laughs> yeah, I was like, that, all right. And then I got to the end of it, I listened back, and I was like. Oh wait a minute! This is good, and so that's there's the first so much the solo. That one there is the first take, yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm not. You know, I'll edit things sometimes too. Now that I, you know, I'm using a digital thing, so like, be a long guitar solo, and I'll have played to a certain point, and then played something I didn't like, and I'll, you know, I'll. Sure. I. It's not. It's not like. I don't have a way to change the order or anything. Mm. but I'll get to a certain place where I play something really shitty and I'll just take it from there. Sure. Yeah. I don't know if that happens in jazz, but, and I know it's not supposed to. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, I, I think, uh, you know, um, if it's, if it's part of the process and it's still a, a creative thing and less an ego thing, you know, where people are like, sometimes, <clears throat> we stop listening to the actual music because we're so uh, attached to our feelings of messing up that one note. Then yeah. we, so that we don't realize that that other note is also a possibility that could be taken into account as, yes. as, a, yeah. as a means to get the music somewhere else or just another sound. I mean, just another note. <laughs> um, yeah, but yeah. also I liked, uh, you know, being, once you've played what you've played, you can also then be creative with that and be musical or composer with this, you know? So yeah, yeah, with you. I, I I do have though an ideal of like, I would like to, it's amazing. You can know that all that stuff 
like you can have that wisdom right but it's still very hard to practice it totally it's like it's it's so so challenging yeah i'm actually uh um wondering about something that that you talked about with karen mantler and Mm. um when i listened to your music it was somehow like um I was struck by um, the courage to allow everything into the process or a lot of different elements into the process. Like that one moment mm. where you said, I'm just going to wait until the truck is gone. Uh-huh. And there's, I, I'm just going to mention a couple of things that struck me. Okay. Uh, there was one, um, there's one song where you kind of do kind of a jabber jabber kind of, uh, fantasy language at some point, <laughs> and then there's you doing beatboxing, and then there's oh, you, you know, and then uh, the distorted uh, recorder, and then there's you know, um, then there's this super sweet Joao Gilberto type of bossa nova, where mm. it's like almost too sweet at some point, and then. I was I was almost waiting for it for you to kill the vibe and then you kill the vibe with like I don't know what you did but it sounded like you're going with it you were playing acoustic but then you were going with an electric guitar as close to the amp as possible and doing kind of mm. a feedback thing. Yeah, I know which song you're talking about. And yeah. um, there was one thing where I think a lot of I mean what seemed to be like super diverse record is uh, Valley with tassels. It seems uh, va- to be... Uh, va- valence with tassels. Valley, so valence, yeah, sorry. Uh, it seems like that, that was so diverse, this, this record, like a total journey. I don't know if it I was on there, yeah. but, but, but still there was one song where like, it's all these little songs and you're singing and then all of a sudden oh. it's just two or three minor chords that you're blowing on with the guitars, like a very long solo playing over chords. Uh, and yeah. maybe one or two songs after that, there's a complicated chord sequence. And I hope you, I'm not stepping on your toe, but it seems like, although you have proven two songs before that you can perfectly play over the changes, it seems like you're playing on purpose not on the changes or like yeah. bad over changes. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, the way that that, no, no, that doesn't bother me at all. I, <laughs> I, I wish that I could just, I, I, I think it, I think that that is, um, right. So that's probably the song I should say about that album. Like that was the first album that I did with this digital thing instead of on a cassette four track. All right. So when so, does this change uh, happen in your in your development? 2019, just uh, okay. a year and a half ago, uh, maybe March, maybe February of 2019. Mm-hmm. So I took this break and I didn't write for a while. And when I came back to writing, I, I was using the four track still, which I'd been using since the 90s. And it was just, I don't really want to go into it because it was just annoying. There were all these there's all these ways in which using a four track is worse than it used to be, mostly not being able to get new machines or new, new tapes. Mm. So it's just, and I've just, you know, I was never doing it to be retro. I just 
was like inflexibly sticking with That's this the set way of you tools. Yeah. Yeah. And I just switched to this thing that I got for free through my partner's sister. This, this, it's not great. It's, but uh, this thing, a uh, spire, uh, isotope thing. And it, it, it's like a eight track that you do uh, through an eye. I, I use this iPad that I'm talking to you on and, and then it connects to this little thing. But basically it was the first time that I could kind of, kind of edit. I mean, I used to sometimes on the four track, just, I didn't really know how to punch in properly. Mm. So if I do it, you hear like a, you literally hear it. Um, whereas I, so I got to like make kind of collage a little bit and it was, um, also like the album that I had made before everybody's old was really, um, almost all, um, double tracked nylon string and singing yeah. like very, very narrow band of, uh, instrumentation. Yeah. So I was like, that was like this playground type of feeling of making that crazy album. That song Amherst that has like all the missing that thing where I'm missing all the changes <laughs> is I made up a little chord sequence that runs through. Um, it's based on, you know, the Coltrane augmented thing. So it's, I can't, it's, I think it's moving somehow between A flat major, E major and C major something. And then it's a little pop progression cycling around. Mm -hmm. And then I, um, I was like, oh, that's, you know, like some of the main key areas that you hit and all the things you are. Oh, I'll just record the solo by blowing over all the things you are and I won't listen to the track. Yeah. <laughs> so that's just me playing rubato um, through the changes of all the things you are. I didn't get that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, it's pretty crazy because you, you can hear that it's a really weird thing to hear. I don't think I could play like that if yeah. I was listening. Yeah. Because you hear me, it's the, you can hear a certain emotion in, in a certain gesture and that say I'm playing some altered thing over a C7 or something as I get back to F or whatever, mm. F minor. There's a certain emotion to that, you know, and it, you can hear it in your finger, in the mm. fingers and the gesture and the way that that reads in the room. Yeah. But then if it's like just all those notes are wrong, it's, I don't think I could fake it that way. I yeah. think I would be too sensitive to what was happening, how it was relating to the chord. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah. And I kind of like, I've done a bunch of like free improvising and stuff over the years, like, like anybody, mm. particularly anybody who also plays jazz, you know, kind of just running my hands around on the guitar and, and, I, I'm not really into that voice right now. Mm. I probably wouldn't have played out like that. Yeah. But I liked the effect of the superimposition. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Was, uh, yeah. It was a nice question mark in my, in my, <laughs> in my brain or in my heart. I was like, yeah. Oh, what's going on? What, what, yeah. 
one thing that I've thought about recently is like, is that um, on my albums, like there is this sort of part of me that wants to show that I can play or whatever. Sometimes there are a lot of albums that'll go by with no solos, but sometimes there'll be a guitar solo and I'm kind of showing that other voice, that sort of jazz voice. But, but I was just thinking like a lot of times I end up like when I'm actually playing, I'm playing over standards and stuff. So I'm playing over changes and, um, when I put a, when I solo on a record, it seems like I end up soloing over something like I'm not showing off enough. Like I'm a lot of times I'm playing over just a chords, which I love that sound. And it's fun. You can still, it's not like the music's any less potentially good, mm. but I was just thinking about that with my new album. Like there's a couple, there's a couple extended solos and uh, the chords aren't, I don't know. I guess, yeah, I don't know. I think it'd be fun to, I don't know. Here's the thing though, is I'm not going to just be like, well, I should make a complicated chord progression and and then play over that. And that would be even cooler. Like yeah. that, that, those, those steps that would be required for me to make that decision. I don't know. Maybe I'll just do, maybe the very next thing I make will be like, <laughs> me showing like how sick I am at playing over changes. But I mean, I don't honestly even know if I am, but um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It, it's that thing of like, there's these times where you have a little agenda and, and then, and then you go and you try to do it and you just, the, it just doesn't feel like that's it. You know, like it, like I have a little idea, I'll do this. And then you got to try to do it and they instantly know, like, this isn't where it is. I have to follow yeah. it. But then even that whole um, thing can be rigid where you're like, I'm the one, I'm the, I'm the person that believes they're real in this story who follows things, you know? Yeah. And there are totally times where you have a little agenda and it's almost a little ego agenda. Like I'm going to do some sick thing like this. And, and the embracing of that thing can actually feel more open than repressing it and being like, I am a perfect blank slate, you know? Mm. So I don't know. Sometimes I'm like, yeah, I couldn't do that thing because then I, then I would be having some intention but the reality is that there's all sorts of little intentions that are sometimes like just childish that are fine to like let in there. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, I want to play some like crazy bass line on this. So let me make one up and just do it. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if it's right or wrong, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, but, but how do you get there to, that you allow yourself to all these different things? That's my, my question. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, I had forgotten your your question probably because I don't. It's complimentary and I'm scared of it. <laughs> um, I don't know. I, I just like a lot of. I like to have fun and be crazy. Mm. I like to. I, I got. That's the kind of person I always liked. Mm. Is um, wild the sort of wild man. I, uh, I apologize for the gendered part of that, but it, you know that kind of crazy person, mm. and. Um, 
um, yeah, I don't know. And and I think this is one of those things that I'm I would I have to be careful with because it is it's getting a little calcified. But you know, I I don't make song albums like a song album maker. I make them more like a jazz improviser. Yeah. Like um, I've said this before in in other places, but I always write the whole song in one sitting. Always. So okay, every one of those songs is like I'm never work on them. Like there's every every once in a while it'll be really late at night and I'll sing a melody into a tape recorder, but when I really sit down to write a song, I do the whole thing. I work out everything about it and I definitely write all the words because if you leave the words, then they sound. It's that so many of my friends and students over the years are like. Yeah, and I have to write the words to my album. <laughs> it's like, mm -hmm. good fucking luck with that. Like, mm -hmm. it's just gonna sound stuck. Uh, you know what it is? It's the, it's the. There's a, there's a wisdom in the jazz thing, which is that it's not you that matters. It's the time. Mm -hmm. Like, and we might literally. I'm into all. I haven't. We haven't gone into any of this, but I'm into. I've as I get older, I'm getting more into far out stuff too, paranormal stuff, and we don't know what any of this is at all <laughs> yeah for sure we have no fucking idea and i'm getting into ram das and like you know i'm getting into the part i think i think that back when i was um still a pot smoker and before that i was a drinker i stopped drinking earlier there was a part of me that um this is sort of answers your question there was a part of me that put the brakes on certain things and sometimes didn't too mm -hmm. but there's when you're stoned um there's a part of you that doesn't want to be doing something just because you're stoned like or or maybe there are times where there, there's this thing this sort of vanity of like and i i don't mean to be ne negative about that particular drug there's all sorts of people who have healthy moderate relationships with it and whatever it's mm -hmm. like i i don't have any per i'm just like an addict so it's I, I, my relationship to it is fucked, but, um, you know, when you're not holding it together, you, you want to, you want to, then you have to lean to this other direction. But when you're like, when you like never take substances, like, why would I not sing in any nonsense language? Like, yeah. there's nothing I'm trying to hide. I don't have anything to hide. I'm not like going, I don't have to, I don't have to counterbalance against going off the deep end mm. because I know that if I'm going <clears> off the deep end, that it's, that it's fine. It's like, I don't have anything to, so, but I mean, I would go off the deep end in the past too. And there's like the times on my albums that the, the way I'm acting crazy is, a, is because I'm on drugs, mm. but, um, and I don't need to disown any of that. I, I like all that music too, but there's some sort of built-in guilt and stuff around that. And I don't know, but yeah. So like in terms of like the, the jazz thing, it's like, and this is, I think I started to email you this when we first got in contact with each other, which really was very weird because it really was that I became obsessed with your podcast. And then you wrote me two days later. <laughs> 
so it really did happen. It yeah. was very, I was writing everybody about your podcast. I was like, yeah. Oh, this is the shit. Like, yes. And, um, but, uh, yeah, I guess I, I guess I'm trying to go at the art of, um, making writing songs and making albums with the same spirit that Keith goes out to play a solo concert. Yeah. Like there's something kind of impossible and I'm not, I am comparing myself to him right now, but I do, I don't actually have illusions about the differences between us. Like <laughs> I really don't, I really, really don't. But, um, but just in terms of an art form, he kind of, he kind of did this audacious art form, which is like, I'm going, I think I can just improvise a bunch of music and it, and it, and it will be really good. And, um, and I have that same thing around, um, song albums, which is like, if I don't get tangled up in all these different music business things that, that you can get tangled. And for a lot of people, it's not a problem at all. I'm, mm. I'm, it's like the pot thing. I'm not saying like I found the answer for anybody besides myself, but if I'm not bothered with getting a PR agent or having a manager, or if I just, or teaching a band the songs or ever playing a song again, except, you know, if I play a show, it'll usually be the songs from the album I just wrote. So, you know, and, and, um, so I guess what I, my, my, my sort of gamble has been that if, that I can skip all the stuff that is not emotionally necessary to me and lean into my gift and, um, or, and, uh, and, and really see how far I can, you know, it's like, it, so on the surface, it looks kind of like, uh, and, and I'm not, it is, it's, it's a singer songwriter. That's fine. But, um, not having the limits on it that are probably all in the mind anyway, mm -hmm. like, like every year I should be able to come up with maybe 12 new good songs. Like that, that's crazy. Like it takes me like an hour and a half to write a song. So and there's really no reason to like pretend that I can't write one the next day. So hmm. just trying to lean into all that and just like, let it really, cause you know, like anybody, it's like, we don't know, particularly now, we don't know how long we're going to be alive. Hmm. And I don't know. I'm, I, you know, not to be too grave or solemn about it, but it's like, I'm, you know, I probably only get to be here this way once. And I just want to see if I can try to figure out like why I'm here and, you know, um, sort of trust that, you know, there might be something cool to do with, with this particular personality. Actually, frankly, some part of me can watch me just talking a mile a minute and wanting this to be a long podcast and all that. And I can see that all as like a slightly annoying personality even, but it's, but I just am trying to accept it and just like, sort of just let it happen. Yeah.
I love that. Something like that. I love that. Yeah. And also, I mean, yeah, I was I was amazed by uh, which I I think I'm sure a lot of people are amazed by that that amount of output you have. And um, it also reminded me the fact that you don't play these songs again unless you're touring right in the moment where you put out the album yeah. or whatever. It reminded me of of great comedians killing their act after a while and then just starting mm. fresh each time. Because one, mm. what happens a lot when when I write songs, or you know, and I, I've I, I think I'm growing to accept the fact a little bit more that it's okay. But um, you sometimes judge a new idea against an old idea. You know what I yeah. mean? So sure. uh, in a way like, yeah, I've written a song like this before. I shouldn't do it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, I yes. hope this doesn't come across uh, negative or, or condescending, but I mm. think you've written a lot of songs that are similar to each other. Sure. But it's, it's just you. It's just another photograph of you. Uh, in front of another scenery, you know, and you, yeah. it shows another side of yourself. And, and uh, I think, um, yeah, just now how you, how you talked about it, it seems like you're not thinking about, have I written a song like this before? No, that's the song I'm writing now. And tomorrow I'm going to write another song, you know? Yeah. But yeah, I think a lot of us don't have this courage or this, um, yeah, we want to write different songs or whatever, you know, and uh, yeah. by doing that, you stifle yourself or you kind of put handcuffs on yourself. It's it's almost, I'm first of all, like that doesn't um, bother me at all. In fact, I don't think anyone's ever, maybe it's just, I do remember one friend being willing to say that to me, but it's not the kind of thing you usually say to somebody because it's usually taken as, because there's almost a, um, it's almost part of the religion of being a musician to say, you know, like, just look at how much we, I love David Bowie, but one of the main things we talked about with with him when he died was he was always changing. He was always changing and he never repeated himself. And I'm obsessed with the Beatles. And that was something they told, they told themselves that they didn't want to repeat themselves. And they really did change quite a bit. <laughs> I mean, mm -hmm. in a short period of time and they're really my ideal. So it's almost ironic that, I mean, there's a limit to it too. If I really hear, if I heard something that really sounded, you know, it's not like I would actually, no, there was a time last year where I wrote a melody. It's on closer tuning. There's a melody that sounds just like the melody of a song from Romantics. And I just, re I just kept it and I just reacted by commenting in the lyrics. I mean, it's not, it's not necessarily you wouldn't catch it unless you, but I say something about it. Like it's some kind of commentary on it. Mm -hmm. But, um, so that I, but, um, for me, the, the feeling is like, the best way to say it is like, 
I, I think that the idea that you're constantly changing is another potential trap. And it's not just that it means you make less music. That would be fine with me. I don't need to make a certain amount, you know? Um, but it's all like, for me, it's the, uh, the tone. Everything is like the emotional tone that you're doing something with. And like, if I was like, if I was like, hey, there's this old song that's like really good and wow, yeah, that's really great. And it really makes me feel good about myself. And I have this friend who just told me they thought it was cool. And like, let me see if I can get that attention again or, or mm. feel good about that version of me. Or if that was the spirit of it, um, I wouldn't be doing it, but, mm. but I, but I also think like there's something cool about like the image that I've had the last, just the last couple of years for like what I'm doing in general, it's just a metaphorical image is that I'm kind of like a miner or something going into a cave. Uh, not, I guess I'm building a cave. I don't what is that called? Making a tunnel. I don't know. Yeah. But, um, with a, you know, it's it doesn't matter to me if if you know this thing is you know what i think that i think that the thing with like album cycles and everything which i don't have where there's money going into album and there's a like a long delay with the album and then there's a story that you tell about the album with your press materials mm. and you know, that's actually something about Pat Metheny that always bothered me about, about like how savvy he, and even Keith, he would tell oh, this, I was going through, you know, there, there's just all this attached story about this is the new thing. And yeah, it's like, um, I feel like when you create a narrative of yourself as an artist, um, moving through this series of ever ever changing or ever progressing albums or whatever um it's just like i don't know it just kind of feels like a trap like if you're telling a story of a of a of a sort i'm really just i'm at, actually this is a cool place because i'm in one of those places where i don't have like a set reaction and not that i've i don't remember if i really had one before either but I feel a little like more like I'm reaching for for how I feel about this, but you know I'm really into John Ashbery's poetry. Have you read him before? No. I really fell in love with him in the last I don't remember how many years it's been, maybe five or seven or something. Mm. He just died a few years ago. He made a lot of work and I think he worked really fast. He's really different than me because he was really successful. But I mean, like, got all these awards and everything, but I do. I feel like there's this kind of state that I'm in with, with work where I'm kind of beyond w worrying about if it's the same or different or something. That said, I just made an album that's all instrumental. I've never done that before. So there are little surface things that change. Yeah. 
but there's a lot of melodies that have that same weird stately vibe on Maya properties, instrumentals that are similar. Yeah. Uh, I've got a good answer. I've got a good thing to say to you now. You already did, said some nice things. Okay. So. <laughs> okay. Everything okay. is fine, man. Um, I think what matters to me is the feeling of the whole thing. That's all. Just mm. the, if the thing feels right at that moment. Yeah. And um, that's not going to be because it checks off certain boxes about like, Yeah. Have you ever thought yeah, I like about that. Uh, like uh, now I need a fast piece. Not I, I should write a ballad. I should, you know, I should write a song in D or whatever, you know, something like that. Not in the key way because the way I don't have perfect pitch and the way I always write is I sing. I sing a bit of melody and I always keep it in the original key. So so I don't ever contrive what key I'm in. I just pull that from the air, but I do make most of these albums now in order. Like, so I'll make mm. the first song first and the second song next. So I'm sort of intuitively feeling what I want what feels yeah. like the cool thing to do next. Mm -hmm. So I do think there's times where I, I'm not mentally saying like, now I need a fast one, but I'll be feeling like now here's a fast one. But yeah, there've been times where I, where I do stuff like that, where I'll hear something in a movie, I'll be like, oh, like a beautiful, you know, like a bit, like I'm, like I know Sherbet and Stars, I was like, I want to write it, and it didn't come out this way. I mean, if it did, I would be very lucky, but I was like, I'll write like a jazz waltz, like a Bill Evans waltz or something. You know what I and, thought? Uh, it doesn't, yeah, that's a really nice because that first melody statement. I told you I was listening to that song for a day. Yeah. Oh. So I was yeah. like, and then I was driving to to have dinner with friends of mine on, on my bike, and was like, of oh, you get to do that. You get you get yeah, to yeah. do that in Ger Germany, right? Yeah. <laughs> so um, obviously, the song was still going in my head then, because you know, it's yeah. a kind of a mantra thing then up, up, up at that that point. So it was like where do I know this from? And I was like, wait, this is Gloria's step in the little, oh. you know, you know, Scott LaFaro's Oh, wow. I don't actually know that song very well. I've heard it, I'm sure, but you know, it's on the it's on the village Vanguard. Uh, yeah. Yeah, uh, I've definitely heard. I you used to listen to that a lot. Mm. That's cool. So the it's, you know I, it's not the same. Uh, yeah, all, all the same intervals, but um, a lot of it is the same uh, from the first melody statement. Yeah. So now you just mentioned you want to write like a Bill Evans was. Yeah. It comes full circuit with what nice. I felt, you know. So good. I like the way that like um, a lot of those. I mean. The tunes I used to really love to play, I used to play very early a lot. Mm -hmm. That's a hard, that's a beautiful, I don't even know if it's hard actually. It might be that like playing something that's in one key the whole time is actually harder. Mm. Like, but I worked on that tune really, really hard when I was in college, I remember. And I do you have that um, 
on Broadway Paul Motion album they, where they do the Bill Evans. Mm -hmm. That album was a big deal to me. That first solo I ever transcribed was Bill Purcell playing on um, Time Remembered. Oh, yeah. Or the first solo I transcribed was like uh, my, was Freddie Freeloader Miles for my guitar teacher in yeah. college. But then like the next week or something, I I and actually because I wanted yeah, and I I got really oh my god, I that's my favorite. Not to say anything about his playing now, uh, he's obviously great, but it's another it's an attachment to what you first heard, and um, I really love those on Broadway albums and and the trio just the the. Oh yeah, oh, my the, God. The, yeah. The tr yeah the, that's actually my favorite one of my favorite things about playing um jazz is is having control of the bass um and and I guess I get that when I'm just playing solo guitar, mm -hmm. but I love that about the trio, how bill has that yes, how he gets to do that mm -hmm. that that that's probably my th that's honestly probably my favorite thing about music. Mm. is the power of the contextualizing power of a of a bass note mm -hmm. how you can set something else in a totally different perspective when yes. you change the yeah yeah i remember i went through a phase when i was in high school i used to have this band with one other friend uh that was sort of how i started all this stuff it was called clove c-l-o-v with my friend ben stamper And I went through a phase where when I was making a bass line on a song, you know, it was literally for every chord, I would consider every, I would consider like all 12 notes as yeah. a possibility. I think I'm still kind of like that. I was like, hmm. it's such a joy to, um, to do that. Yeah. I'm having really serious, it's probably because we've been talking for so long and I, But I just had some serious deja vu. Serious deja vu? Oh yeah. Yeah, I was like, oh, oh my God, we've done this. This is a memory. <laughs> It's all we've been looking at us in the in the computer for a long <laughs> yeah. time. Huh? Yes, yes. We hmm. can keep, we can keep going, or we can we can. Well, well, I was thinking about the um, Hey Jude was like one minute longer than uh, the, the longest single of all time at that time. I think uh, was um, that song MacArthur Park. And then Hey Jude was a minute longer. Uh-huh, yeah. So I, how long have we been talking for? It's, it would be cool if we, if, if, if it doesn't mean we have to, we could try to go one minute longer than Ben Street. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I think how now we're in, um... It's our third hour now. <laughs> <laughs> and he, he was like an hour, uh, three and a half hours or three hours and 45. Yeah, that's, that was, yeah. And we added it a little bit. So, yeah. You talked to him for four hours straight. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I'm, I'm willing to keep going, but I, I'm going to yield to you as this, this is your art form, this podcast. So, um, If you ask me another question, I'll talk more. But I also, I don't want to force you into... Man, let's talk. Let's not think about it as an interview. Oh, wonderful. Okay. Whatever you, whatever you want to share, it's fine. You know. All right. Um, I was just, but you, you said something 
that you're doing I mean that's all fascinating you know you start the record and you do it in sequence that's great yes but how do you know that the song you're writing is the actual first song of an album that well I this is kind of newer I mean I did that I remember doing that in order thing probably for the first time with the album Beetleborough mm -hmm. in 2011. Mm. And then it, it kind of just became like something that I was really consistently doing maybe in the last year or something. It's definitely true of all the albums I made this year. Um, See, that's a know, sentence you don't hear from a lot of artists. <laughs> yeah. There was something on Pitchfork the other day that was like, I don't remember who it was. It wasn't anybody I had heard of. And it was like a press release thing. It was like his, in his third album of 2020 and I, or something. And I, and I was like, yeah, whatever. It's like, <laughs> I, was like I was like, yeah, they don't, they, yeah. Um, <laughs> It can be a fault too. There's no doubt about it. Um, I have to stay awake. I mean, I have to stay awake. To, I have to just keep doing what I'm doing because of the feeling. Like you can't. I don't want to get into a pissing contest with. Yeah. You know, so much about being a man. A man. So much of like the male thing is about like if you can hear it in that dumb thing I was just saying about having the longer podcast and you know it's like pretty phallic it's like you know <laughs> I, I just I you know so it you know it is probably part of me even just like hormonally or something as like mm. a guy there's you know I can critique it but it, it's probably also in there and but it's also something that is disgusting to me so um, if I'm going to make like a ton of music, I just want it to be, um, because it's a beautiful feeling, right. you know, and, um, and not anything else, you know, mm. and I don't know, maybe I'll chill out a little bit. This, I don't know. I'm kind of trying to start another one right now, but I don't know. I don't have any idea what it is yet. Mm -hmm. And um, what the pattern has been over the, to answer your actual question, I feel vaguely gross having said some of that stuff, but I think it's healthy stuff to talk about and say the stuff about like being a guy and stuff. But it, I just want to say for the listener that I, I, you know, it's, it's painful. The male stuff is painful. Mm. Uh, but, but I think I'm glad that I, I think I'm glad I mentioned it, but mm. It's embarrassing and it's painful. Um, and a lot of times I guess it's also unspoken too, which is probably part of the problem. But um, I, I just sometimes feel like I wanna, I it's very, I, I don't know if I've really made this clear yet, but it's really, really fun for me to make albums. Like it's well, really fun. I think there wouldn't be so many of them out there. <laughs> you, yeah. you would just enjoy it a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I guess I could, it could be coming out of some sickness. Like it could be a desire to demand attention, which mm. I'm probably sort of trying to do or um, prove something or, or 
or prove to myself that like some of the suffering that I've had in life, like particularly on mental health stuff is worth something because I've been able to make all this work. I mean, there's, there's ways in which it could, I could be doing it and it would be an expression of essentially addiction and sickness, <laughs> but but yes, it doesn't, it doesn't feel that way at all. There's a helicopter. There's a hospital over here and sometimes helicopters have to help people. Since there's helicopters landing like a block, like a just not lot far from my house, there is always the possibility, I'm not actually scared of this, that eventually one of the helicopters will crash into my house, <laughs> which would be an incredible way to die. Um, <laughs> I would feel really bad for the people in the helicopter, but I would be fucking psyched for myself. Sure, yeah. <laughs> Explosions <laughs> getting chopped up. Yeah, I just think it would be just as a story. It would be an amazing way to go. Yeah, helicopter crashed in his into his house. And you, you know, while they did this crazy long interview. Oh yes, during this. Yeah. Well, you know, we could both have helicopters crash into both our houses at the same time. So how would I don't mean to threaten? How would we do this? How did we would we accomplish this? We. We can't, we can't try to make it happen. We just have to let it happen if it's going to happen. I, although I'm not a family man. I mean, I have a wonderful girlfriend who's not at home right now, but I don't want to talk about helicopters crashing into your house because you have like, uh, you have children, right? Yeah, I have two kids. Yeah, so let's let those guys, let's they let those guys. Sleep. They should sleep. No, no helicopters yeah. right now. Yeah. No helicopters. Yeah, they're going to, we need them to live on. Yes. Um. <laughs> Um, so, oh yeah. So yeah, I'll just like, um, I'll just sometimes take a couple days. Like I'll try to record something and then I won't like it or I'll try to write something and I won't like it. And, and sometimes there's none of that, but usually there's a day or two of pain. Yeah. And then I will record something and I'll be like, this is it. This is the beginning. And It's usually feels it usually feels kind of risky in a good way where um, a lot of times like the first song on the on one of my albums is not is flawed feeling to me in part, but I try to let it but I like leaving it there because like I could ease, it would be once I get going, I'll write some like hit type of thing or for me anyway Socrates what is just an incredible hit for me oh thank you i don't know if that one was in order or not yeah that's probably more of a of a of a hit at the beginning yeah. but like everybody's old i didn't like the first song was was um oh yeah that one was written in order too um and so was balance with tassels except that i wanted to begin and end it with a instrumental so i there was an instrumental a couple songs in from the and i pushed it to the front and there was an instrumental a couple songs from the end and i pushed to the end but aside from that that's all in order so there's yeah. just like one alteration to that but um yeah sometimes i will will feel like the first song isn't the strongest and that's like a lot of times where i'll on the band camp i'll put a different song as the single you know if somebody goes to the page it'll be the the first one if they press play But um, but I really like the feeling of respect, you know, as the same way as like I just was reading a Keith interview where he was talking about, you know, he doesn't edit his 
solo concerts. He doesn't try to just get to the good bit. Like that, it, it, everything, how it fit in with this, the the whole bigger thing is. You mean he doesn't edit later on, or does he doesn't also because there's also an editing process that goes on in the moment. Well, I think he's yeah. If if he's if he feels like he's he surely is. I don't know if he feels like he's editing in the moment, but I know that there were times where he considered. I can't remember what interview this was. It was one I hadn't read before, but I read you know this year, and he said that um, there were times where it was like, yeah, maybe we should just pull this him and Manfred or something. We're like, let's pull this part out, and and then he was like, no, it can't. It has to be coming from this other thing. They might might be imperfect on some level, but it's the whole gesture. Yeah. And I, that's how I'm trying to do the album thing with that same uh, diligence, or that that's not the word, the same respect. Like if I'm going to get to, yeah, because there are times where I where I've been blocked for years. You know, it's happened. Like where I like between 2015 and 20 late 2018, I I didn't make anything, and. Um, mm. So if I can write, like, I don't want to, like, try to control it too much. And I don't know. Also, there's this great Steve Lacey album that I have called The Holy Law, where it's, it's, a, it's the same band that I saw. And it's from around a similar time. And right at the very beginning of the album, there's a bad squeak from his horn. And... He could have switched the songs around, you know, knowing that he it's right at the top of the CD, you know, mm. and but that also there's something really cool about just getting it out of the like getting it out of the way. Also, like it gets sing your attention. Like, whoop, where, where, where yeah. is this coming from? You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe he just liked it. Maybe he did it on purpose. I think it was a mistake. Mm. But. um, Yeah, I'm looking for something that. It doesn't feel like it's really me, you know, all the way. So I'm not trying to make, I'm not, with the song thing, I'm not trying to, I mean, at this point, I've done so many albums that there's this sort of, you could, you could think that there, you know, that it was almost, um, I was building a brand or something, you know, because there is a sound and there is a voice and all that. Yeah, totally. But there was somebody who asked Rosenwinkel recently, how do you make your own sound? I mean, he would be a good person to ask because he really has one. Right. Mm -hmm. And he was like, I don't try to do it, you know, just work on music. Yeah. And it was like the best answer, you know, yeah, totally. Like he just practiced a bunch and then this thing kind of emerged. And, um, so I'm kind of trying to go for that. Like, I'm not like, what would be a cool way for me to seem like, I'm not, I'm not doing that. I'm trying to, I'm almost more trying to like meet a being that feels alive. And that's part of why I write so fast when I write is I'm trying to let something happen yeah, and follow it. And then there's a lot of, like you were talking about with Keith in the moment of soloing, when I'm writing, I'm very, very awake and aware. And there's a lot of editing that's happening and revision that's happening as I'm working, as I'm writing, but how, how much do, let's say, how much yeah. do you kill? I mean, how much do you erase? As I'm working? Yeah. 
as I'm sitting there writing the song, you mean? Yeah, because you say you're doing it in one go. A lot. I mean, I might try, I might try 52 voicings for one of the chords. Yeah. But same as you, it's not. It goes pretty quick, and you don't even notice you're doing it because like, and some chords you just drop it and you go, oh, there it is, you know. Yeah. But there, there's, there's, and it's not even just how it sounds. It's how it feels to do it, and also how it looks. Mm -hmm. It's like everything, everything. It's just this weird feeling of like hunting for this affirmative feeling. And the thing that I've really practiced being good at is once I get the feeling of, yes, there it is, then that it's as if that's the feeling forever. Yeah. That's like I the never, law. that's the rule. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, the next day, nothing. There have been like literally maybe only two or three songs that I've ever thought were going to be on an album and then I cut the song. Mm -hmm. Now there are songs on my albums now that I hate. <laughs> not too not too many, but some that I really hate. But um I would never pull them off the album. Because it's incredible. like it, yeah. it's not about me. It, it's like once you start I remember this is something my friend Carl said once that was really cool. And I'm not just Carl, I'm not just saying this because I know you're going to listen to this, but um, <laughs> I remember once I was like, it was a phase when Carl was into Led Zeppelin, like we, and a phase where I wasn't, you know, we both, whatever, we both liked Led Zeppelin on and off. And we'll go through these phases where we're like, that's the, I'm never going to listen to that. Or it's really amazing seeming. And it was one of the times where Carl was into Led Zeppelin and I was against Led Zeppelin. And I was like saying something about like, I remember two times saying something to Carl like this and he kind of corrected me in a way that was really cool where I was like, yeah, but I hate, you know, I hate Robert Plant. I hate the way he's singing. And I, I wish it was just like, he wasn't singing, you know, in this music. Like I wish it was just, I could just listen to Jimmy Page's like guitar parts or something mm -hmm. or even everybody except Robert Plant. And, um, and he was like, you can't, you know, that's like trying to eat the, just the chocolate chip chips, you know, picking the chocolate chips off of a cookie. It's not, it doesn't work. Or there was another time where I was like, I wish the Grateful Dead just improvised. No songs. Yeah. And he was like, that's absurd. That doesn't, you know, it doesn't exist. Mm. Like that's not, there is no, that's not. So there's, I, I sort of apply that same wisdom to my own work I try to which is I'm just lucky that I get to be a musician even though it, there's a lot of ways in which it's a curse of course but primarily it's just the coolest the coolest possible life right <laughs> I mean it's so I mean that's probably just because it's like what I'm meant to do but mm. but you know because it's what you're meant to do mm. And it's like, it's the best. I mean, <laughs> if we could have seen how we were going to end up yeah. as adults when we were kids, we would be fucking psyched. Mm. We'd be, oh, you're just going to just gonna do that? Yeah. That <laughs> seems really fun. Yeah, like, I, <laughs> it's true. But um, I can't remember. Oh, yeah. So if I'm going to like just get to, you know, 
I just don't want to, I don't want to think, I don't want to be presumptuous. I don't want to think I understand how this all works. Like it's essentially, it's a gift, a gift. And, um, I'm kind of superstitious about it. I just don't, I don't want to like think I'm throwing out something that's extraneous and that's actually the linchpin that's holding the whole thing together and making it possible. Mm. Like, um, it's, a, it's basically, it's, you know, sort of a ritual and it's kind of sacred. So, um, and the other thing, this is really simple, but I don't love every song on every album. And it doesn't, because I don't have ego attachment because I didn't make, you know, whatever album. So what? It doesn't even, even if I don't love every song, it doesn't even that, that those songs aren't good. It just means maybe I'm not ready for that. Like to bring it back to Gary Peacock, like there was a time where I wasn't into him. Yeah. I thought he sounded out of tune mm. and I didn't like his tone that much. And then I kind of woke up and I like, heard it a different way i was able to hear it as basically i was able to hear it as incredibly psychedelic mm. like almost like i i actually didn't know until just when he died that he had um met Tim timothy leary and taken acid with him did you know about that i read it in an interview late uh, i mean right when he died yeah. I, i read a lot of interviews so I, yeah i read yeah. it too yeah And that's when he quit music and went to Japan. Mm -hmm. um, so maybe, I mean, I've actually never taken that drug. And obviously, it's a very serious drug. If it makes you quit music, maybe that's not always good. But <laughs> um, but I did, I did, I think I was hearing, like, the way that that band, in a way, is kind of a hippie band. Mm. Like, the, and, um, you know, it's kind of like, Eastern influenced psychedelic bass playing uh, in one sense. And um, I also really like that weird kind of sticky tone he gets too. Is he like, why does this bass sound like that? Is he like freaking using a direct, is he like plugged into an amp or is he mic'd? Well, I don't know. Could be both. You know, could be it's both a, at the same it's time. Very, yeah. It's a little trebly, right? Yeah, sometimes, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know. I mean, there's nobody who sounds like him, you know. Yeah. Yeah. You know, one thing that I think I do with jazz or try to do all the time is when I don't think something is happening, this is, this is, there's a culture of this with jazz is that it takes time. This stuff is very deep. Yeah. And it takes time to, be able to understand it not even just to, one image that i sometimes get for for jazz is like it's kind of like riding a bicycle like one if you get on a bike and start riding it it what ends up happening is actually very complex but when you stay with it it's like um it feels easy and doable yeah. but a lot of times listening to somebody improvise is like whether it or not is whether i feel like i'm on the bike with them and I'm kind of like at their speed and I'm like, this feels really good. Or am, is it like trying to watch somebody's spokes go by and I can't understand it. And that's like something that like 
when I listen to Keith Jarrett, even though he's a thousand miles beyond anything I'll ever touch in this life, like I feel like I'm with him for each note. Yeah. And sometimes when Gary is playing, I'm like, I do not fucking understand what's happening right now. It just sounds crazy. Mm-hmm. I'm totally then see Keith watching him and Keith will be like, Whoa, whoa. <laughs> you know, he's like, he's like oh, he loves it. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, I, you know, yeah, you get the sense that you're so, not ready for it yet. Uh, that there's some, some yeah, other perspective just, that you haven't unlocked yet to, to yeah. really appreciate it fully. Yeah. And I think a lot of times that that's like, I guess there's maybe possible times in this in this world where there are people who really are full of shit, but it's a lot of times it's more like on the listener, like is this is it your time to to lock with this the way right. that the maker is, you know? And Gary Peacock, you know, it's like somebody that I always knew was that, that he was heavy and that I just I was going to be honest with myself. I didn't fully get it, but, um, but I loved the band, but, but then, you know, I don't know, it was maybe 15 years ago, 20 years ago that I started just being like, particularly into him. You know? Yeah. Do you, do you have that album, uh, changeless? Changeless. Is that where they play free? It's not, it's before those free albums they made. But it is, it's just grooves. It's all, it's pretty much four, four long songs that are from live shows. And they're just like, you know, the first one's just on F minor. And then the second one's like a beautiful slow thing that's maybe F minor to D flat, back yeah. and forth. Uh, is But it, it is, yeah. Has, for, does it, it have a building uh, on this, in a street? No. That changes. That's changes. And that's oh. the American band. This is the trio here. Let me, it's right. Well, but yeah, Changeless is really good. And, mm. and I just been listening to that since, and it's just grooves, but yeah, particularly the second song. Oh man. And it's all three of them are making something together. That is unbelievable. Yeah. And Gary sounds, it's incredible. What a beautiful, what a, I mean, and it, it's incredible. Like how, old he was when that band even started i mean he was probably my age wasn't he i mean like he um, died when he was 85 so and the band started in i think 83 so you do the math the it's, already, math it's almost that is, that 12 the number two what <laughs> just i'm not good at math but when you say 85 and 83 that's i know that yeah I'm it's not, two yeah. years um, Yeah, so he was two years old. Oh my (laughs) god, he's actually really young. Um, (laughs) No, um, they started in '83, I think. Uh, Wait a minute. So I was, yeah. So say in '82, I was. Will this help us in the long run (laughs) to know how old you were in '82? I think that's a great question. By now, (laughs) some wiseass will have made a great comment under this video oh, telling good, us good. what to the, help us with this yeah so let's just wait for this let's guy just, let's, yeah yeah let's just assume he was about 40 at least 
Sounds when, about right. When Keith brought them over to dinner and said, we're going to do this crazy thing. I don't write songs anymore. Yeah. We're going to do standards. And everybody was just like, you, are you crazy? Yeah. I think, I think uh, Gary was the one who, uh, that's what I read the other day, who was, who was uh, doubting it the most at that point. Oh, uh, that's awesome. Yeah. Because he came from, you know, obviously he played standards with Bill Evans and, and all the other guys. And he, that's what he studied. I haven't heard that yet. He was kind of, um, yeah. But um, as soon as they went into those songs, then for the record, for the records, I think. And because I think also that during that time they did the record and they also played a couple of weeks at the Vanguard. Um, Whoa. They noticed like this, this is something, you know. <laughs> yeah. Oh, actually, this is a Isn't good Isn't that idea. great that he puts out two records, Standards Volume 1 and Volume 2, and then puts one of his standards on there, too? Like, so tender, you know. Oh, is that, who wrote that? Keith. Oh, wow. I didn't, I, I actually weirdly don't know those early ones as well. I know they're very mm -hmm. good. Yeah. Isn't like, isn't, what is, what is the early one that's live? Is it called Standards Live or Live in Norway? Still Live, live, still love, live. Uh, live in Norway. Uh, I love that one. Um, they're still live. Okay. And um, I mean, he put out so many records. It's incredible. And then there's, there's the one at the yeah. Deerhead Inn where Jack couldn't make it and or wasn't yes didn't feel like playing i don't know and then he asked paul motion to it's paul yeah yeah, yeah. that that's one of my favorites and yeah. the song that's like one of those songs that i've literally it's like kind of like an uncool standard to say you play at least for guitar players but that's a song that i've literally solo played every day yeah, yeah. every day for for I think 25 years. Mm. Um, I mean, just those dropping cadences, you know, yeah. just study. It's just studying cadence, really. Mm. Just dropping, dropping down. Yeah. Um, yeah, the deer head and yeah, Paul, uh, Paul motion is a big, big deal to me. Um, and it, it was uh, a lot of his own albums and, just so many things about him and his way of playing and and his way of writing. Oh yeah, he's incredible. Yeah, I, I I'm just so yeah. You know what album I really like by him is a late one with Jason Moran. Oh yeah, and Chris me too. Potter. I love that too. Yeah, Lost it in a Dream. It is so good. Yes. 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 I used to listen to that maybe when it came out was, I want to say it was in 2011 or something. Mm -hmm. Maybe he died in 2011. So it was probably in 20, 2009 or, or yeah, 10. Yeah, yeah. It's a late one. I would listen to every night, every night. And I love Jason uh, Moran. I, I just like, like him in general. Like, mm -hmm. I, I like hearing him talk. I like his ideas. Yeah. He's my age. I can't relate to him because, but I, I mean, he's such a success, but, um, the way he plays that music is, I just kills me. And Chris Potter, somebody too, who's obviously unbelievable, but I probably listened to his music a lot, but I wouldn't 
you know, I'm not saying anything negative about him, but I wouldn't necessarily assume that those three people would have made one of my favorite Paul Motion albums, but then they get together and it's just like, what the fuck? Yes. And Chris Potter sounds so good. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I don't think there's any changes. I think it's all, um, I think it's all notes and, most of those tunes are just bass notes and melodies, I think. Oh, no, no. There are changes. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's on some, all of them? No, no, no. All of them. But there are some, some, uh, um, some, some of the songs are, you know, beautiful melodies and beautiful changes. Mode 6, I love that one. Okay. And also, I re- I re- um, uh, what's it called? do 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 I can I I I can't remember it exactly, but you're basically like you're, yeah that I can just even you singing that I just relax I relax so deeply inside, <laughs> and he wrote all those on Keith's childhood piano too. You know oh, that right? Wow. That I think I think Keith got it back when he died. And he was trying to get it back, but somehow Paul, who I had like a rent-controlled apartment, I think near Central Park, mm. had that piano, started writing on it, and he wrote all those tunes on what it, what is surely a magic piano. Yeah, yeah I think so too. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah, I, I I got one of those Paul. Did you get any of those Paul Motion songbooks that started getting released of his original yeah, autograph I, scores? I have both. Yeah, I have the first one. I haven't played out of it as much as I expected I would. I don't. I uh, I think it's he's one of those cases where the idea of his approach has already given me so much. Yeah. Even the mythologies, like I did. I definitely read Jason Moran said when. Paul died that there were tunes that had just a bass note and a melody. I, 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 at least one, because he did talk about that. Drum music is one of those, I think. Oh, okay. Okay. Mm. And how beautiful that was to just be able to fill that in and how obvious it, it, I've written some like that. Um, Mm. Some, sometimes just the melody and the bass is a really nice, really nice way to write. Totally. Do you write? You uh, talk- do you do you write um, away from the instrument sometimes? Um, like on a bench. Only, on a bench, <laughs> not much. I have sometimes. I there's only so much I can do. I mean, I have a a decent ear. Like I can write a melody without. Um, a, maybe I'll get a, a pitch reference, like uh, with a with a tuning fork. Yeah. And then I can just, oh, okay, I'm in this key. And I can, I have a decent ear for that. I can't, and I can hear sometimes like broadly what I'm hearing harmonically. Like I can hear some of that, but usually I write uh, at, uh, I would write on a piano a lot if I had one, but I usually write at a guitar. Yeah. Um, But a lot of it is just, uh, a lot of my melodies are just sung into a recording device. Yeah. But then when I, one thing I do like about writing instrumentally is like, I love writing on paper, kind of like there's something really relaxing. I, I would like to do more of it because it, 
I, I don't even know why they're, they're separated that way where I would would write a song more just singing and playing and writing the lyrics only down only the lyrics get written down mm. but then if I write a tune you know I'm 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 writing a, a lead sheet or whatever. I, there were a few years where I was like, I heard you talking about this uh, with, was it Chris Davis you were talking about this with recently? Um, about um, whether to use fully notated voicings or chord symbols. Uh, well, it's a topic that comes up um, Yeah. sometimes. Yeah. So might have been yeah, Chris, yeah. I'm, I'm not sure. Sometimes these yeah. conversations also they yeah. move together, uh, yeah. so I'm not sure sometimes what what yeah what I talk to people about. That that's something I've been really interested in too. Like kind of like a lot of jazz people, that's like an interesting subject for me. Like, and I've kind of gone both ways with it. Yeah, me too. Because I, I I I do think voicing is really really um, sometimes it's it's the voicing it's not what you could name that voicing but yeah that said like that said sometimes when i'm really just writing a lead sheet i i just know that it's a c7 and then maybe the melody has some notes that are not in the chord and 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 i really don't want to decide what the voicing is like it's not like yes this voicing is very important it's more like the vo it's a it really is a more blurry picture mm. and it will come into focus when i go in the studio and i want to voice i know well i'm going to play it on this i want to make a part that's two things counterpoint so i actually really i'm kind of like come, i've kind of come back around to being really into chord symbols right now yeah as a way to make the initial writing quicker and then to give myself more fun stuff to do when i'm recording because all the arrangement is done while i'm actually tracking you know so I also have to say that hypothetically, like in the future, I would love to just play jazz with people, maybe. <laughs> like, you know, in my fantasy, I'm not touring. It's like I'm playing at some place that's near my house or something and playing every. I've always thought it'd be fun to like play every night with the same band or oh, something. Yeah. You know, and then if somebody wants to see it, they have to come to see it. You know? Yeah. But. Nice yeah, the, I have not, I have not, I'm not like decided that I'm, that I'm, that I know where I'm going or something, or mm. I definitely, that's something that has, I do not play jazz with people, but I used to. Yeah. yeah. You miss it sometimes. Yeah, I do. And I don't, I honestly don't even really know what it's like to have that mature. Because that myself that never left the student times. So I'm not, I don't have really, I don't think I really have hangups about it, but there have been now, but there have been times in the past where it's like, some part of me is like, would I have been able to do that? Or was I, am I just, is there something that kept me from, I'm, obviously there was something that kept me from doing it because I had this other thing I had to do, but there's some part of me that's like when I watch a video of the, the, the Keith Jarrett, you know, trio or something and Jack DeJanette is like trading fours. I'm like, wow, I'm really glad I don't, I'm not trying to be a real jazz guy because 
I would never be able to follow anybody's fours on the drums. Like, <laughs> there, you know, it's like there's this element of the 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 art that really is about skill, you know. And um, although I have strengths, like surely I have weaknesses too, and like they might be really bad weaknesses. I just I I haven't really I never really got tested as a jazz musician. Like I never I never took that far. You never enough. got the jazz test. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> or I never learned that it didn't. You exist. were just tested for jazz, and you're negative. <laughs> yeah. Or maybe that's like that's the thing is that I still believe in the jazz test. Yeah. Like I still think it exists. Yeah. <laughs> it would be some some weird doctor that you have to go to oh, to get yeah. your jazz or tested. Just, or just some very very mean, very non-communicative men. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I yeah. I mean, I don't think I have anything to prove around it. I mean, I know that, and that I also know like, but there were years where I was, there was a part of me that would have, you know, it would have been interesting to know. Could I have done that if mm -hmm. I, like, would I? What, what circles would I be in? Would I be? Yeah. Would I be thought of as good? Would I be thought of as sort of bad? <laughs> I just, I just don't know. <laughs> yeah. I just don't know. Do you know. sometimes miss um, miss uh, input by other people for your music? No. No. <laughs> no. I'm very. Um, I mean, I, I'm sure you couldn't work the way you work with other people. Yeah, I couldn't, and I, I I'm that's and that's, that's one why thing your that's... music is how it how it is also. Yeah, I don't. Now, in the case with Blake, that's like that's like I'm collaborating, but it's like this cool kind of collaboration where I get to make all the decisions that I want to make up front. And then, but I'm very bad at being collaborative further on in the process. Yeah. Like when I was in this band, the happy birthday band, it really bothered me to have to, to have somebody suggest that maybe the bass note that I had just chosen was too strange. Yeah. That it made me very angry. Yeah. And these are people that I respect. Too, but it didn't yeah. matter um so constitutionally like um i i really like um i'm more like a just constitutionally this is something i've said before but uh, you know more like a writer mm. or a painter or something i really like um making every single decision without any without having to sell any of those decisions to somebody else who's so, but I think in the moment, I mean, if, if there was a, t if I was playing, I mean, jazz is cool. Like, I mean, there's a lot of different kinds of it, right? Obviously, but a lot of it, you don't, a lot of it is just people playing a tune together and then you just can kind of do whatever, the people can do whatever they want. And if they don't like the way you do whatever you want, then maybe they won't call you again. Mm. So there's also like a lot of, it's, that's cool because it's collaborative, but it's not fucking talking. Mm. That's what I, I, I mean, actually playing, I mean, I've actually playing with people in real time and just hearing what they contribute can be amazing. And it, I think is very, very different from trying to decide like what kind of, how to build a rock song together or something, you know, mm. it's a higher level of collaboration. Yeah. It's nonverbal. Yeah. What I was going to tell you a long time ago, many hours ago, in fact, is that 
I'm starting to understand Miles is playing in the 60s quintet. And there oh, was a right, video of yeah. him, him playing Round Midnight. And I think it's because I'm starting to get more aligned with the wind instrument thing because of this Bonova trip I'm on. And I heard him playing this very abstract, long beginning to Round Midnight where he's, it sort of at first sounds like he's kind of just doing like a, I don't know what a condensa at the beginning of something is, but it actually ended up being the entire head and his entire solo that he was playing. I just didn't, it sort of sounded more like an intro and it was really good. Mm. And I felt, I felt that feeling of following it yeah. and getting it. Yeah. Is it, let me ask you something about Miles. Do you think it's going to be the case that in 50 years, all of his music, all of the electric music, is considered perfect <laughs> by the jazz everybody. testers. <laughs> everybody is going to just because the consensus is there is a consensus around Miles. Yeah, that is traveling through his work chronologically. Yeah, and accepting more and more of it. Right. Mm. It's true. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um. I think there will always be people who are drawn more to certain uh, aspects of his sound or, or, or development. But I think uh, certain music uh, needs needs its time to mm. to grow in into um, to what people can appreciate without having uh the 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 trends of an era or the time yeah uh, ingrained in their heads you know i think when wayne shorter's high life came out it was kind of people were like this is a disaster or this is kind of, <laughs> you know? that is such a killing album and this is such a killing album you know this i mean yeah and the, i mean we we were just talking about it uh, we saw examples of it in ourselves where we uh, knew something was good, but we weren't ready for it, you know. And I think that will uh, be the case, you know, uh, also with with Miles, you know. And I have yeah. certain I have certain records that I need to, you know, that I sincerely want to get back to to appreciate them more. Although I already know that I love them, but I think I'm gonna love them even more, you know. Which will you say what they are? Like he he loved him madly. Uh, is something that uh, no, that's that's the track, but it's on Get Up with It, and I oh, think yeah. you know I gotta listen to that again. You know, and or Agatha or something. You know that that period right before I have he, that. Yeah, right before he stopped playing, is something that I need to get into yeah. more. Uh, I have, but I wanna I wanna do it more. Yeah, so, man. That John Schofield interview you did and, and the playing that you did with him too is like mm. so cool. He was one of the, you know, obviously one of the main jazz guitar players like that everybody was was listening to when I started learning the music. And um, I kind of like went with him and then didn't for a long time. And I'm kind of coming back around to him now. Mm -hmm. And... And also just in terms of like listening to him talk and stuff, like what a, what a great guy. Yeah, totally. Like, yeah. what a great dude. Mm -hmm. Like, 
I love that thing you guys were talking about. Uh, it was a really cool question you asked him about, like, this reminds me of the Vanova of like, where not all the notes are, are equal. They're not like, there's this almost this ideal with jazz guitar of having a instrument that's balanced. Yeah. And it's kind of a guitar denialism in a way where, and I, I really like some of the people that um, exemplify that aesthetic actually, like where everything is kind of rounded out into the same, like the pe- same kinds of, yeah, these sort of like almost pellets, yeah. like these sort of like little pellets of jazz or whatever. Like I, I, li- I like that. And I play, when I play that music, I play with a very bassy tone too. But, um, but like, uh, yeah, Schofield feels like he's really playing like a gnarly idiosyncratic instrument that speaks differently in different parts of the mm-hmm. neck and obviously the open strings. And w- one thing I wanted to ask you about John Schofield actually is I recently read a Miles interview uh, or maybe it was somebody else talking about, maybe it was Miles talking to Coltrane and it was like, Miles apparently played on the same mouthpiece that he played on in high school. Oh, like, I don't know how far it went. Cause this was maybe the source of this was maybe still the sixties mm-hmm. or the fifties, but that he was like, you don't fuck with your instrument. You just, you, you don't want to fuck with that. You, you got to just stick, stick with your thing. And obviously there's many musicians like myself included who, mess with the gear they play and stuff and Mm. i kind of do it and i know pat had a guitar too that was like his magic guitar from a certain era that he wouldn't even get it set up or anything he was very and then he stopped touring with it because he was going to destroy it but it was like this and i'm kind of like that i haven't changed the strings i'm like i you know like wipe them down so they don't get rusty but i i kind of like when there's magic coming out of an instrument i don't yeah mess with it mm-hmm. and i i wondered about schofield because he's been playing that one ibanez artist mm. which he maybe has more than one of them but it seems like of all the guitar players he's almost the most consistent in terms of gear and i wonder if he got that from miles well i don't i, I haven't talked to him about that but yeah. i saw him play a stratocaster oh. in in uh one year before we were playing 2013 yeah i saw him play that so and that sounded different i bet um you know and it was like i kind of like it uh but it's not what i you know what i was coming to hear or what i was suspecting to hear you know expecting to hear but it was a nice change but also i was happy to hear him on the other instrument again you know yeah yeah Actually, my first jazz guitar when I was in college was that same one he played. It was an Ibanez artist from that time and everything. Mm. And I didn't even know. I had just kind of had to pick something and my parents helped me buy something because I only had like a, I only had like an imitation Stratocaster and I had to get like a real jazz instrument. And I, I ended up with an Ibanez artist from the seventies. And, um, and then I remember looking in the CD of like Grace Under Pressure or something Mm. And seeing, I was like, oh my God, I have the same, I w- it, it was like, for some reason, it was a big deal to me. I was like, yeah. I have the same guitar as a real guitar player. And, um, cause I just didn't know, and you couldn't look anything up yeah. like that. And, 
Um, stupidly, I sold that instrument at the end of the '90s before I moved to Texas. I wish I had it. I really wish I still had that guitar. Yeah, it was hard to play, and it was very heavy. It was very hard on the shoulder. Mm -hmm. But um, well, I just, I just remember how it looks in his fingers. You know, with the fingers uh, on on the fingerboard, and and how yeah. it, in his hand it just looks so at the right place and so yeah also effortlessly how he plays it i mean his body is moving or and is he's yeah. into it and making the jazz faces yeah uh but his fingers it just uh it looks so seamlessly how he how he moves them yeah. on the fingerboard it's nice nice to look at i think yeah he's great mm. i love that part where you're like He's like acting like he hasn't got enough bebop in his playing or something. Yeah. But he didn't seem like he was faking it. I think he really, and so there's some way in which that's true to him, but mm. he's pretty amazing. I really like that album with Joe Lovano and Bill Stewart. What We Do? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great one. Very beautiful. You played one of those tunes with him. Yeah. Imaginary Time we played. And uh, yeah. Pretty Out is also on that record. We also played that one. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's really cool. And Easy To You, we also played that. Uh, when we were on tour, we played that. Cool. Easy For You. Easy For You, yeah. Did he end up doing those solo solo guitar shows? Like, Yeah, he did. I would like to, I want to hear that. Because cause that's like kind of my zone. Yeah. I was going to ask you another thing yeah. uh, about um, writing, and I think maybe you have already answered it, but in terms of you're writing it in, in one go and you're kind of figuring yeah. out in, in the process of that couple of hours, with some of the songs, it seems to me when I listen to it, uh, because I'm, yeah, maybe the question is structurally how you figure it out. Maybe you sometimes find out that the, the thing you came up with last is actually the beginning or whatever. Yeah. With some of the songs, it seems to me like you don't give away the tonal center of the piece until the middle of the song or something. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Sometimes sure. I was like, "Oh, that's yeah. where we're at." Where we're at. Oh, I'm glad we get. I'm glad we get to talk about that. Well, first of all, I always work out the forms when I'm writing. Also, so that's that's always something that I make sure of uh knowing what i'm gonna you know that's something that i definitely finish while i'm in that initial thing i think i almost always kind of do the same thing that i do more broadly with the album which is that i keep it i keep the i think i just keep it in the i make it up in the order you hear it in i think i don't think i ever rearrange stuff that tonal center question is particularly interesting though because um, I never contrive that. I don't think about like what key, I mean, I can tell what key something's in if I focus in, but I usually, I'm, I'm a, like a, I do like a complete trust fall with that. So I just follow and I never worry about pushing away from a key center or where I'm going to end up or anything. And And I also, I think this is maybe because I, don't have perfect pitch but i have this kind of dumb name for this thing that i do which is i call it slip center tonality 
where things can modulate, obviously, but one kind of modulation that happens a lot in my writing is modulating just a little yeah. to the side. Yeah. So that it's almost as if a bridge, because the harmony is dense a lot of the time, you can get, and because I don't have perfect pitch, it's almost like I get, as I'm writing, I get a little lost. And I, there's, there are songs where like at the beginning of the A section, I'm in B. And by the end of it, I'm in C. But it's not as if I've treated it like a modulation occurred. It's mm. more like it just blurred mm. up to C. And then you, and then when it goes back to the beginning of the A section, it just drops. Yeah. It's like, it's almost like a pitch control on a four track where you just wiggle it to the side a little bit. Mm. And um, there's a lot of songs like, that do that where they're they're kind of slipping around you know and some of them it gets pretty far like it'll yeah go ahead you know in all in all this vanity there's also a moment where like that oh yeah that seems right what does that and start then, in d yeah it starts in d and then there's it's right before you play that bluesy kind of you know mm. right before you play that line mm. it kind of wanders off something yeah very far off but also yeah. I'm, I'm i was fascinated by that bluesy uh line how it ties everything back together all of a sudden that's nice. and, and i i never see it coming <laughs> huh but it makes perfect sense I'd have to hear that one again. I mean, I, I it's a vague memory. I, I don't know how it goes, but yeah. Um, yeah, I guess I I guess I just I like blues stuff. I really do. I like uh, I like using that. Yeah, that's that's another that's another thing that sometimes I feel like is suppressed, a suppressed mm. de desire. Yeah, which is like I mean, which is absurd because it's. I mean, I mean, being concerned about a appropriation, like a like, you know, racist appropriation, is totally legitimate. But in terms of like the pitch material, in terms of, I mean, it's just what a beautiful world of language, you know. Mm. I, one thing I'm kind of obsessed with is um, that kind of relates to blues is uh, things that can be either things that can be either five, things that can be either consonant or dissonant, depending on context. And I mean, it's hard to talk about without looking at really specific examples, but I remember one thing doing in a song of like, something that's not blues, uh, that's not bluesy at all. And then you get and you're in G or something. And then using instead of like say a D7 or all the different things you could use as a five, using a G7 as a five of G. Do you want to demonstrate it? I know well, you have, I don't know. You have your guitar. Yeah, I mean, right I, I don't know if I really can, because I, I would need a bigger context, but just, just that, to, that, you know, you can have a five one cadence, obviously, but that functionally, that's almost that too. It's like mm -hmm. there's something that's unresolved resolving. Yeah, but so true, I, yeah. I guess like, you know, there's all sorts of cases where, like, like the, one thing that is an agenda in in my work is definitely like 
selling things that are dissonant as consonant. Yeah. Treating them that way. Be, be a voice leading or tone. Some of it's like literally just treating something gently, mm. like it's beautiful. Yeah. And then it's like a cluster or something, but you're just like, no, this is good. This is pretty. Don't worry. It's the same thing with tuning also in a couple of uh, records where you kind ah. of seems like uh, you go on purpose yeah. on, into the, the, you know, even across tune. the border, like out of tune guitar yeah. playing the melody yeah. beautifully. Like, yeah, yes. this is a sound. I mean, uh, all is vanity. All is vanity is, has is, that. Yeah. Has that. And, but, um, a couple of other songs that I can't remember the names right now, but, um, yeah, yeah. I like that too. I like that too. Yeah. Yeah. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. That's what I know you interviewed Dave Longstreth and, um, I wanted to talk to you uh, about him because yeah, he's great. We, yeah. we, we, we don't, we're not, we, we've never like hung out a ton, but he's really good friends with my friend Kyle. And mm. I mean, all that's one of those relationships that started one way, which was that he was like super famous. He was like a God mm. and I was, I was on happy birthday toured with him. So I, I looked up to that band so much when they were yeah at their hugest. And, um, but d I saw recently Dave did a, um, like a, a live stream and his guitar was so out of tune and, and he just owned it. Yeah. He, he, it, it's a, it's an, it's beautiful. It can be but one thing that I, you know, I have a lot of friends. My brother is one of them, but my friend Omid uh, Gudarzi is really interested in tuning systems and micro tonality as, as is my brother. I mean, early music people study that stuff. Sure. sure they have, they have to. And um, what is Germany? Like not 440 is Germany. Like, Concert pianos in Germany, where are they tuned at? 440 or 442. And is that the same as the States? I mean, I, the 442, I think I remember hearing about the 442. I guess people are fucking with that stuff way more often now, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah. I remember hearing something about somebody going to Germany and it being the piano was tuned differently or something. Um, Could be. I'm really into that, all that stuff, all the emotion of things. And in fact, there's a song on one of my albums from this year. There's a uh, song on Full Professor. I can't remember what the song is called right now, but um, I actually, when, when it goes from the A section to the B section, um, maybe the song's called like Complete Disaster. Some, <laughs> I can't remember. But um, it's... um. It's uh, the B section is a micro, um, a, a quarter tone flat, mm. but I did, I couldn't do it on a computer, so I, I retuned all the instruments, and then when I did the vocal over the whole thing, I just did one pass with the vocal, so I'm singing to it, and then when it drops, I just drop with it. It was actually weird how easy it was. Yeah, like you just fall into the new cushion. It's just mm. an inch lower or something. Wow. But um. And then there's a place in the song where all where you get to hear the two the difference between the two instruments. Like I, you know, you hear them a, a quarter tone apart, vibrating. Mm. Like you know, it's like for just a little section. But um, yeah, I don't study that stuff super closely, but I like messing with it. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. What were you going to ask about Dave Longstreth? Nothing. I just uh, out of the blue uh, when I found about. I found out about your music uh, 
I sometimes keep in touch with him and then I, I sent him all his vanity and I was like, do you know this guy? I just yeah. <laughs> found out. And he's like, yeah, he's a great songwriter and he's a good friend. So uh, yeah, I love his music. That's, nice. Yeah. 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 I was, so nice. I was like uh, wondering if you guys work together or, you know. Not work. We've, um, we were, in, um, yeah, for, there's a there's another guy who used to be in Dirty Directors um, uh, named Nat Baldwin who the bassist is yeah he's from near where I'm from mm -hmm. and then he kind of through I think it was initially through him that we my band got to tour opening for them during the bit of Orca tour and then and then it ended up that Kyle lived literally across the street from Dave in LA and when Kyle moved out there in 2011 so it's like it's one of these things where the original circles that we the way that we related initially was very asymmetrical and then as the years have passed on it's like we're kind of more like peers now but yeah. i still can't really like um some of that ori original hierarchy is still in my mind a little bit even though he's like 10 years younger than me mm. you know yeah. I had a very powerful conversion experience with that band, which was that I, my brother opened for Dirty Projectors at Hampshire College, which is near here in Western Mass, in 2007. And I had no idea who they were. And it was them doing above. And it was like that quartet with Angel playing a bass. And it was like um, Amber and Angel. Dave in the middle, and then I can't remember the drummer's name, that incredible drummer. Um, uh, yeah. It's like right on the tip of my tongue. But yeah. And, and, and it was, they were doing the three part harmonies, and it was the, cra the craziest guitar playing. And I was like, from it, and I didn't know it existed. Very disturbing. Yeah. It was very, very disturbing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, that's what they do to you. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Uh, I love that freedom that Dave has with the 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 uh, his guitar tuning. Yeah, it's really nice. It's, it's really nice. Yeah, it's beautiful. Uh, man, let's let's close with what you wanted to talk to me about. Uh, I watched it today. Uh, <laughs> that, that oh yeah, that, that Raga thing. Um, yes. Try to work it out a little uh that was beautiful thanks for sending in that can you repeat his name again yeah i just learned about him yesterday his khan. name is bismillah khan yeah and my brother already knows all about him and i just found out and i heard about him because i was listening to a ram podcast, and he mentioned him as like an incredibly deep musician and i just listened and i was like oh my god he's playing a weird horn yeah which is right up my alley right now and yeah basically what happened for me in that was that I'm obsessed with the all interval tetrachords, which are, you know what those are. They're, you know, tetrachords where there's one of every interval, so they're perfectly balanced, you know. Mm. And I've been studying them really intensely for since 2012. And Do you want to I, they're demonstrate almost like, quickly? Uh, so, y yeah. Um, you know, they're, they're, so they're like, a, like one of them is like major, uh, let me say like, there's four of them. I'll just demonstrate one of them real quickly. So one of them I call Jimi Hendrix because it's, it's a sharp nine chord, you know? Yeah. 
And um, so within the, that's made of four pitches. You can put different notes in the bass. Like actually, that's the one uh, Biz Milikan, um is playing. But he's—I don't know what key he was in, but that he's was doing a D this. in the bass. Okay, so he's doing—he's doing, he's doing a, a, a root and a fifth and a sixth and a flat two. So I mean, he was also those, doing a, a sharp eleven and a major third and a major seventh. Oh, I don't remember the. So the, this, the I remember the six and the seven, but I don't. Maybe we were hearing it differently, because there's the section that I was really focused on was like, um, something like you know, and then maybe like something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's but, basically so all the all the it's basically all the notes from A flat minor pentatonic over D pedal. But so it but for, coming from D, it's like. Uh, D, E flat, uh, uh, G flat, A flat, um, yeah. and then B natural and C sharp and D. Yeah, I didn't catch these, which end up just re just referencing another all interval tetrachord. Huh. But the melody, at one point the melody is like, and it's, yeah, there's all sorts of shit happening, but at one point the melody is just outlining the first half of this melody is, and the other guys start playing it with him, yeah. is outlining like a, you know, basically a tonic, a flat two, a fifth and a sixth. So that's a AIT that I called Jimi Hendrix because it, in one of its inversions, it's the sharp nine chord. And what makes it special is that there's only one half step in it, one whole step in it. Let me see if I'm gonna be really dumb here. Where's the minor third? Oh my God, performance anxiety. Yeah, it's fine. Can you can think of where the minor third is? Where is it? So play um, it again. D A B and it, yeah, D A B and oh, I found it. So the minor third is between the root and the sixth. The major third is between the sixth and the flat two. Oh yeah. The perfect fourth is between the fifth and the root. Right. The tritone is between the A and the E flat. And then all the right. inversions, right? And then hypothetically for infinity, I mean, as you invert beyond the octave. So it's like, if nice. you think of music as like, if you think of music as being sort of made of the negative space between the notes, the interrelations, this is something I literally want to write a book about. So I have like kind of way too much to say about it mm -hmm. because I'm obsessed with it. but. They're like these balance, I call them balance chords because they, they contain everything perfectly balanced with everything else. And hearing it in Indian music yesterday was like, oh my God, I felt like, oh my God, he knows or something. Yeah. That's a, which he probably does. But um, the other thing that I, that I wanted to, that I was into about it was like, because that scale you just talked about was, is probably more accurate than what I saw, but I was looking at this one fragment of the melody and I was seeing that it was contained within this scale that I'm into, which is I have this, which is the, I, I was seeing it as contain, uh, a fragment of the, the minor mode of the true overtone scale. So have you ever like gotten into like the overtone series very much? Not very much, no. Yeah. Well, one thing that's interesting that happens is that 
I mean, obviously those things, you have to tune them. They're like, they're not perfectly in tune, right? But they're close to something, right? So you, what you end up with is if you, have you heard people talk about the overtone scale before? And it ends up just being a mode of melodic minor. It ends up just being Lydian flat seven. No. Okay. So if you start on a fundamental and then you just start gathering, not worrying about that they're a little out of tune and not worrying about what octave they're in and you start trying to make a scale. Yeah. If you first thing you get is you have the root, then you have the fifth, then you get the third. Mm. It's like every other note, every other overtone gives you a new pitch class. Yeah. And what eventually happens um, if when you get to the 13th partial is you get um, the seventh note. And it, it, well, you don't have to stop at seven, but it's a cool place to stop because seven note scales are whatever, kind of normal. There's all yeah. these little little things you have to do like where you're like, oh, I'm just going to scoot this over here a little bit. Yeah. But <clears throat> one thing that's really interesting about the 13th partial is that there are many, many sources that talk about it as if it's a sixth. Mm. including like my Harvard Dictionary of Music. But it's not. It's a flat six. It's closer to flat six than it is to six. And it, I have not yet been able to talk to anybody about why there's this like history around this. So it is true that that overtone is actually sharp while a lot of the other ones are flat. Mm. So maybe they're just like, well, we want to push it the direction we push the other ones because it seems nice and tidy or something. Mm. But... The reality is, is that if you take the first seven pitch classes of the overtone series and equal temper it or whatever, you actually don't get a Lydian flat seven. You don't get, you get a scale that has a cluster in it. You get one, two, three, sharp four, five, flat six. You get this scale. I call that the true overtone scale. And there's all this weird uh, stuff I could say about it. Like, like I had this set of synchronicities where Schoenberg was talking about the 13th partial in a piece called The Problems of Harmony, and he had it as a flat. There's this weird discrepancy note that, that some people say is a six, but it's closer to flat six. And if you treat it as flat six, you get this cool scale that has a cluster in it. There's a place on that album, um, what's it called, uh, um, that has all his vanity and stuff that there you hear that scale it's Play a shop doo, 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 doo. yeah yeah on turnstile at the very end of the song there's a true overtone scale that, yeah that's what around when i got into it so the true overtone scale has all these freaking crazy qualities mm. well obviously it's just a whole tone scale with a spike thrown in the middle like a fifth right so at first right so it's c lit, d yeah. e f sharp g a flat, a flat. yeah and then B flat. B flat C. Yeah. yeah. So it's just a whole tone with a stabilizer. Yeah. And um, so stabilizer. if you're yeah. a music person and you see that, you might be like, eh, it's just a whole tone scale. Like they're kind of cool. But, but then if you really start looking at it, it's like, first of all, there's one of each of the eight all interval tetrachords in it. Mm. So it itself, so that's interesting. It's not the only scale that has that property. But there's only one major triad in it, and there's only one minor triad in it. And so the major mode, which is built off like the C in our example, right, has 
you know, this could, this is a good long Strathian guitar right now. It's very fucked up, right? That has that. But if you go to the fifth, you get the minor mode. So there's only one major mode and one minor mode. And the minor mode is one, flat two, flat three, four, five, six, seven, one. Yeah. And that's what I was hearing in that music, was I was hearing like a, you know, like that's a scale I've studied a bunch. Yeah. So I was just like having this weird, like spiritual experience hearing that music because I recognized the AIT just because I've spent so much time. I wasn't trying to think analytically. I was just listening to music and I was like, this guy's incredible. And then I was like, oh my God, that's an elegant. It was just like, and then I was like, those other notes work with how this AIT sits in the true overtone Mm. thing. And so anyway, that's just like some nerd stuff that I just like love and am really into. Check out that scale. You'll, I think you'll be surprised. There's all these places you can use it, Mm. but it's pretty much like, I don't think jazz people have really used it yet. I might be wrong. It I'm seems probably like wrong. it seems like it could be uh, also like a bebop uh, sort of bebop uh, um, scale, but from another. If you don't see it from C, you know what I mean. If you would see which it from from off, another, there's a really beautiful mode of it, which is the second mode, which is like I'm kind of leaving behind the bebop idea for one second, which is like. It's like one, two, yeah. three, four, sharp four, flat six, flat seven, one. And it's just yeah. like, it's nice. It has do 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 da. And then it's just like, what? Um, yeah. But, uh, I've been studying the bebop scale for the first time, the one with the flat six. Yeah. And like on my Vinova working on that. Yeah. And then doing the minor mode of it, which is on, I think of the minor mode of that as having both sevenths. Does that seem right to you? So it'd be like C, the, the major mode would be C, D, E, F, G, G, or, so, yeah. um, C, D, E, F, G, G, uh, G sharp, A, yeah. uh, B, C, and the minor would yeah. be C, and D, E flat, F, G, G sharp, or A flat, A, B, C. I think of the minor mode differently, although that's cool. That's a cool mm. way to do it. I think of it as going to A, like a relative minor. So I've been playing the minor mode of it as A, B, C, D, E, F, G, G sharp. So Say again, sorry. Like A, B, C, D, E, F, G, G sharp. So thinking of it like, thinking of it like, okay, you have C major and you added a note to it. And now I'm going to go to the Aeolian mode and retain that addition. Yeah, yeah. I think that's the same thing I said only in C minor. I only. I thought, you, I thought yours had a sixth. I think you might have had one wrong note in yours then. Because it would be C, D, E flat, F, G, A flat, B flat, B. Oh, yeah. I, yeah, I, I, I think I, I mean the minor six diminished scale that Barry Harris is talking about. Oh, cool, cool. I don't know about that one yet. That, okay. Barry Harris came to UNH when I was there. It's 
cool. He's incredible. So he that's his mi bebop minor is like that. Yeah. Yeah. So it's literally it's literally a melodic minor scale with a flat six thrown in. I think so. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah, I yeah. didn't. I, I didn't know about that. And if I you move like them around, up... it's pretty cool because you have a C minor six, and yeah. then you have a uh, then you have a D diminished, which is like G seven flat nine. Yeah. So if yes. you move that through the through the scale, that's those two uh, things just repeating each other again. Yeah, I I, I kind of half follow you. I feel like I. I know there's all this diminished stuff in there, and I know that's Harris's like thing, but I I haven't. I'm just beginning to look at that stuff. Check it out. He's it's, it's, it's he's incredible. A, he's incredible. Yeah, and he teaches his... he teaches every week. You can take a lesson with him. I mean, it's it's group lessons, but he teaches online every week oh, these wow. days. So check it out. For where ten, does he live? For ten bucks, you can oh. have a Zoom thing, and he's teaching you that stuff. Check That's it out. amazing. Saturday, cool. so three days you can sign up. Mm. Check it out. Cool. That's amazing. Yeah. Man, All I right, feel you like call we um, uh, <laughs> we could talk for another four hours or something. Uh, yeah. We wouldn't run out of uh, topics, but uh, it has been such a pleasure to talk to you and to get to know you a little bit. Amazing. Thank you so much. Wow. Yeah, it's been really great. Yeah. Thank you so much. Hey, thank you, man. Thanks for all the inspiration and the great music. Yeah. Um, it's really late for you, right? It's very late. Yes. Very all right. Late. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Go to sleep. sleep. Yeah. Talk right. soon, huh? Thank Take you. Peace. Bye bye. Thank you.